Ding dong. Hello. Welcome to another sensational episode of Diva. Grab a chair. This is the podcast where a drag queen reviews, reviews, interviews other drag artists. It's very exciting. Last week we had Lola Fierce on. Her new single is out. Give it a listen. It's wonderful. And this week I have one of my absolute favourite people on a Zoom call with me for this podcast. She is a burlesque and drag extraordinaire from somewhere. Um, she is probably the only person in the world, in the drag scene, who like loves wrestling as much as I do. And fun fact, she is Tamina Snooker's only fan in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome one half of the duo behind Cirque de Corset and the rated R superstar herself, Slay Guevara. Welcome. Uh, hello. How's things? How are you getting on? Things, things are things are all right. We're surviving. We're semi-thriving. It's all good. We're <laughs> surviving and semi-thriving. That's all we can really ask for. Aye. You know, absolutely. We're, we're doing our best. So for the for the fans at home, for the Diva Grab a Chair universe at home, um introduce yourself in your own words. Who is Slay Guevara? What will we know Slay Guevara for? Um, what would Slay Guevara drink at the bar? All that good shit. So I like to generally say Slay Guevara is what would happen if you put Pete Burns and China in a blender. <laughs> like, it's just, it's fucking sexy. It's cat, she's camp, she's a fucking moron. There's usually like fake leather involved somehow. It's all just stunning. So I'm a burlesque and drag artist queen thingy, um, which basically just means I like cutting about in gay clubs with my tetsu. And it's, it's great. It's, Bestie. we're not sure how we got here, but we're here and it's stunning so that's I feel like that's like the mantra to be like a Scottish drag artist we're not sure how we got to where we are but we've made yeah. it and that's like, like the main thing yeah I was like I think I've fucking after like going to like three drag shows when I started uni I was like can I do that I want to do that I'm doing that and then spent three months cutting about with a moustache drawn on for some reason because I thought women couldn't be drag queens and then realized that looked stupid. So now we're just whatever the hell is going on here, it's what we are. So whatever enters and exits the brain. I mean, I am of a similar vein, you know. I was like one of those like gays who went out on Halloween in drag, but just unlike those who like stop mm. on November the first, I just never really stopped after that. I, I, you know, it's I feel that. once you get I said this to Jordy on their podcast like once you get the bug you're kind of stuck with it like <laughs> you, oh, absolutely it's just like you've got like a public service to offer now so <laughs> if that's what you want to call it then well sure, that's it's um yeah I mean there's public, a lot of... the only person that's really servicing is me but I'm fine with that like I like feeling important that's <laughs> kind of the whole thing I like see this is great because I fucking love talking about myself so this is lovely well as I'm sure most you're providing a vital service for drag queens because we just get to talk about our own shit for an hour. It's lovely. Like this is all all of us want to do. That's... Yeah, we, we've not had like we've not had shows to like, go to for a year. We don't have that like mm, yes. interaction backstage. You're just like, how are you doing? Never mind. Here's how I'm doing for like forty minutes. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's like okay, fuck. It's my second number. Better you know boost. Yeah. You've you've like God. missed the you've missed the first number, but the second number. Yeah. Show the show's over. Fucking Johnny's kicking you out, but you're still going. Like whatever's. <laughs> Cl- 
the cleaning lights are on. Um, the show yeah. is out. So on that kind of note, obviously we've not had, we've not had interact. We've not been in a show for a year. Nearly it's coming up in a year. Mm. I can't believe it's been that long already. Um, can I talk us? It's absolutely horrible. Talk us through sort of how have things been for you in the kind of general interminable lockdown that's going on? You know, have you been keeping busy? Has it just been a let's watch the Thunderdome kind of thing? I don't know. Like, it's it's been a number of stuff. Like I've said, I've gone on record many times and said last year for a variety of reasons was the worst year of my entire life, and not just because of the Rona situation. Like there was a good sort of six months where whoever had my voodoo doll was just fucking with me consistently. Like it was all, it was great fun. Had a, um, but it's like, we're trying to do the whole drag thing and trying to do digital shows and then losing my motivation and spending three weeks in my jammies eating takeout. It's like, I kind of do these big pr- productivity fluctuations where it's like, I'm super busy and super excited and super creative for like, a week at a time and then I'll burn myself the fuck out and not get out of bed for a week it's just yeah. it's how it be it's how we're doing because that's the thing is I think because we're all like nightlife people mm-hmm. like drag is a nightlife industry like you're so sort of used to not functioning at a human like to a human time scale like time schedule mm-hmm. that as soon as like we have to you know go outside during the daytime and stuff it's just like fuck like I can't wake up before midday that's shit I'm not doing that like I, d- I haven't worn real clothes in about six months which is great I only ever wear a bra for going to work I went to Tesco in my jammies a couple of weeks ago it's just like all rules of actual life are suspended and my rules of actual life in the first place were not that great so yeah I think what you said there, like, obviously we are, like, creatures of the night, you know, it's, mm. we, we do, like, it's, I can't remember who said it, but someone once said, drag queens do 9 to 5 the other way around, like, yeah, 9 to 5 Yeah, we absolutely do, like, it's, and I think, yeah, it's just having to exist during the day is just shite, like, yeah. I'm, no, I'm not doing this, I don't like it, I've opted out, I'm still nocturnal, it's just, I get less done, I spend a lot of time on my phone on TikTok, so, <laughs> like, 2 in the morning, that's, mid um no yeah. it, it does feel like that I mean certainly for myself you know I had like four months of dissertation work which I did at like my own mm. pace and to my, to my own schedule and then I got into like the, the corporate world and um oh. like you know in, in the space of this lockdown I've had like two nine to five jobs I'm in my second one now mm. um and it, it's, it's adjusted because I am not really a morning person like I am one of those people who don't speak to me unless I've had like a can of iron brew and maybe two cigarettes um but mm-hmm. I've had to sort of adjust to it and I think like as drag artists we are sort of that sort of self-sufficiency kind of transfers into other things um uh-huh. you know like adjusting to things because in drag you've got to adjust to things as well you know changes mm-hmm. of schedule and Definitely. all that kind of stuff yeah because it's like I think that's something that people don't really think very often is that whether or not it's all that you do drag's a job and like you get very adjusted to the kind of chaos that's involved in it so when that's kind of pulled out from under you it's just like right what do I do now like I keep finding my, like I get into drag all the time just for photos and shit but it just feels so po- like I was a couple of weeks ago filmed a thing that by the time this comes out may or may not be out for the BBC and I got to go out in drag and interact with humans and it was fucking amazing like I came home and I was like I don't know if I've taken crack by accident 
but I'm so buzzing about everything. Like the world just feels lovely right now. Not mm-hmm. sure that that's what crack does, but you know, just in case, I don't know. But Pro- I was probably just, initially, like, I, for- I wouldn't know. But <laughs> yeah, I just forgot what I was like. I forgot what this was like. But I went outside in drag, and yeah, people shouted at me and pulled their kid away from trying to talk to me. But such is <laughs> life, and it was really exciting. Like, <laughs> I mean. I mean, the less interaction with children and drag the possible. Oh, like, God. The possible. See, I've been trying to kind of circumvent my need to do drag with just dressing like a lunatic when I can be bothered going outside because, like, getting stared at in public, it, it happens if you're in drag. So, like, if I'm wearing all of my jewellery at once and a fucking T-shirt as a dress and platform heel to go to Tesco, then, like, I get the same effect. And I literally had someone, like, I was just sitting outside a shop and a kid started walking over to me and then mum literally grabbed it by the hood of its jacket and was like we don't talk to people like that and I'm like what do you mean people like that I'm just existing in a shit outfit like you don't want to know what I do with the rest of my life because <laughs> I love how you just referred to the child as it like by the hood of I wasn't its jacket I wasn't paying attention to what flavour of child it was like I don't <laughs> care <laughs> It was uh, all, all children are smoky bacon to me, like because that's my <laughs> least favorite flavor of crisps. <laughs> oh my god! No, literally, like I have the weirdest interactions with kids all the time. I think it's just because they sense that I'm like a weirdo on some level. Like regardless of whether or not drags coming to play with it, I've once had a kid sitting across from me on a train start crying because they thought I was a witch, <laughs> which was really exciting with no prompting. Like I wasn't, I didn't even have my broomstick with me that day, but like they just like. <laughs> I was just sitting, I was wearing all black and this kid just burst into fucking tears and I'm like, do I say something? Was that my fault? And his mum turns to me and goes, yeah, he thinks you're a witch, I'm really sorry, like, I don't know how to explain it to you. I was like, alright, cool, that's nice. I had one of my downstairs neighbours, like, who's like six consistently refers to me as that weird lady, <laughs> which is really weird. <laughs> Not weird, well, it is really weird, it's, it's bizarre, it's like you've met me three times in your life how am I the weird lady how did that happen I'm also not used to being the lady to be fair like I had someone put at work a couple of months ago pull that stop doing that or the lady's gonna shout at you thing with me and I'm like no I'm not I'm also where's the fucking lady I'm five like I'm a child Fuck off. <laughs> it's like it's, I'm sco- just in t- it's like a scooby-doo <laughs> when they're like get that dog out of here and you're like roll <laughs> literally i was like lady where's she gonna shout at me i'll cry i don't, can't shout at me or i will i will just explode like i'll turn into a puddle it's like see ever since i started using like the man is my nickname and mm-hmm. I'm, i've done like obviously customer service jobs and stuff so in bars or whatever and there's been kids about and their parents been like stop it or the man's gonna throw you out i'm like fucking damn right i am like <laughs> <laughs> that's my job <laughs> amazing I'm I'm honestly never not gonna get over like the man Salmonella. It makes me so happy. Like (laughs) it's just so beautiful as a concept. Like it's I know it's and someone kind of said to me like, do you not worry that you're straying a bit close to like to Becky? And I was like, no, not at all. As I stand here in my all black attire and my ginger hair, no, not at all. Like (laughs) it's it's like. I think it's even funnier when like an actual man is doing it as well who's like yeah, a man right like dre- like dresses like something femme present and it's like it's yeah. yeah it's kind of the sort of backwards irony of it like I think honestly because as queens who've both got like nicknames that we've stolen from wrestling 
like it's great more people need to use those because there's hundreds of them and they're all really fun like because yeah. you were the one that christened me rated our superstar and I've never been more buzzing about anything because like I'd always felt a bit like it was a really silly thing that I'd felt a little bit inadequate about was that I didn't have a thing queen of place name like because <laughs> you know you get like the dancing diva of like fight or whatever and it's like <laughs> yeah or like whatever it is like all these different things I'm like I don't have one of those because it's really hard to condense what in the hell it is that I do into two words and then rated our superstar just fits it fucking perfectly so I'm like right that's it that's mine now I'm stealing it after Edge won the Rumble, I like referred to us in a tweet as like team rated our superstar. And I was like, what the fuck do I mean by team? Like, team. he's got no idea who I am. I've you, just stolen his name. You, you <laughs> like invisibly struck in there and helped him eliminate Seth Rollins from it. It was, actually, it was actually me that took out Randy's knee. Fun fact, I was hiding under the announce table. Um, I did wonder what that flash of black I just saw. Just like, yeah, <laughs> that was me because me. See, I, de- I declared for the men's rumble weeks ago, but no one believed me. But I, it, I was there. It was true. I got to Florida and back from my living room in 30 seconds. Nobody noticed. I said I was going for a pee, and there I was. I contributed. I didn't actually get to enter because there was copyright issues with my entrance music, and I wasn't. They wouldn't let me. But other than that, like it would. I was. I was totally down for it. Vince was just waiting there with a contract, but I said that I had to. You know, like I had. I had work in the morning, so I had to just go. Like. But Vince is Vince is just a like, damn it, get Shay a slay out of there. I like that you said that because I literally have been called I've I drag queens can't read and people haven't known how to pronounce my name for as long as I've been doing drag. I've got like I get called Shay Guevara all Shay Guevara all the time, Slay Guevara, Slay Guevara, Slay Guava, Shay Guava. Like I don't know why folks think my name's Guava. Like Please. It's great. <laughs> If you ever have to do like a makeover challenge or something, please let like the person you're making over be called Slay Goava. That is, that's beautiful. That's what I, that's what I wanted to call my, I put my mum in drag a couple of years ago and that's what I wanted to call her, but she wouldn't let me. So she's Faye Guevara because she thought that was nicer. That's. I wanted to try and do another communist pun, but Adele Castro's taken and. Carla B. Marks is taken as well. Yeah, exactly. There's not a whole bunch of other communists that you want to be stealing their names from. Like, it's a fucking, like, Mao puns, not really, like, the best way forward. Like, not that, like, most communism that's actually been attained has been great. Like, mm, this is true. Is, I, support, I support it as a concept. The people that have actually made it reality have been shit at it. People are just shit at doing communism. So, that's... I think because we've been in such a capital, uh, we're getting deep here. Um, because we've been in such a capitalist society, the idea of doing something like standing in line for bread is gonna be it's gonna drive people absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, but it's <laughs> if, like no having. Yeah, it's like okay, but all of the other shit that happens here is fine somehow. Like, mm, like it. Yeah, like I was listening to Lucy and Franz's podcast today um and they were talking about how there's a mural of a homeless person in edinburgh and it's like how can you construct the mural of them but not put them in shelter <laughs> like yeah. it's... it's like i think when people like the word perform the word performative activism get chucked about quite a lot in reference to people tweeting about shit as if that's not you know the most accessible form of doing anything politically that we have right now given that we're all stuck in our houses 
yeah. that is the absolute peak of performative fucking nonsense it's like it was the same thing as like people talking about like statues and murals and stuff over the black lives matter thing it's like yeah okay how about we arrest the people that have killed unarmed black people in their houses like that seems like a that seems more productive than oh, like yeah, memorials completely. nice and everything but do the shit first like, uh-huh. do the action first that's all I, I it'd be the same people as well who'd be like you know they're not really social distancing at these protests and like are you social distancing in your back garden with 50 people Moira no yep. so <laughs> Moira Moira I don't uh, I actually know some lovely people called Moira but for some reason that's always like my go-to for like angry white mm-hmm. lady it's never because I feel like Karen has been claimed by straight people now yeah so Moira I've only met one person in my life called Moira but her name wasn't actually Moira, her name was Myra, but she grew up in the 70s and used to get compared to Myra Hindley all the time, so she changed it when she was, like, seven. Tell you, I was, I was watching the Moore's Murders documentary on Amazon Prime the other night with my flatmate. Is there one on, is there a new one on Amazon? Or, I hadn't heard I, about that and I'm buzzing. I don't think it's a new um, one, I think it was made in, like, 2008. It's basically just, like, right. a, it's like a whistle-stop tour of how they did it. Oh, okay. Like, when it See, happened, that through- kind of thing. I went through this incredibly weird phase a couple of months ago where I watched true crime documentaries constantly just as background noise. And I kind of really, really fell into this thing where I just, for about two weeks, watched fucking nothing apart from Moore's Murders documentaries. And Jasmine's like, the fuck are you doing? Why are you watching more of this? And it's like, it's interesting. It is quite interesting. And it's interesting how it sort of affected society and like kind of northern yeah. england and like the greater manchester area like... I... here's Sorry. a weird thing i've been oddly obsessed with that case for ages my advanced higher english dissertation was about evil women in fiction and it's basically about how women aren't allowed to be evil and how when they are it's for much less bad things than a lot of men and i was looking at like who was it? i think it was like the mum and carrie and some other stuff where it was like yeah, compared to some of the shit that men do in, like, Stephen King books, it's not good, but it's also not that bad, and yet she's one of his most kind of hated villains and blah, blah, blah. It was, I brought up the Moore's Murders thing there because it was like, yeah, I don't know why, like, she obviously was not a great person. I'm not advocating for her here, but she was also not the one that did the murdering. He was. Why did he just get to quietly die in prison that everyone wanted to know everything about everything that happened in her life forever? Like, yeah. she was evil and fucking whatever. It's like, it's it's weird, but I, yeah, I got really, really into that case for age. I, me and my mum both do that because we're both a wee bit autistic and we both tend to hyperfixate on murder quite frequently. It's a slight problem. I mean, like, it's, it's quite interesting that, like, that's been the kind of go-to for people and lockdown is, like, true crime things. Like, when I started yeah. that, when I started my current job, obviously on the first day we do like our, you do like your icebreakers and you're sort mm-hmm. of like getting to know people and literally there's like, there was seven of us like who were starting the job and then the two trainers and they were all talking about how like they just watched like documentary, they'd watched like the Madeline McCann series on Netflix mm-hmm. or like the Cecil Hotel that's just come out as well. Mm-hmm. They were talking about like watching murder things and then I'm just in the corner like, well, um, I've been watching old Royal Rumble matches recently and retrospectively reviewing them. <laughs> like that's, quite... all that, that's kind of all that I do right now as I go between wrestling and murder stuff. Like, I just rewatch Don't Fuck With Cats for the 18th time, but, like... And then you go to, like, just... the, the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries and it's, like, a mix yeah. of the two sometimes. Fucking, 
I've I've got a series that I want to start doing because um for people who aren't in the know, I am a TikTok wrestling content creator is the label that I've decided on, which I don't like. It makes me vomit in my mouth, but it's is I, I made one joke video about wrestling on TikTok, and now I've got two thousand middle-aged men that follow me and tell me to talk about shit. So was that I'm, the one? Stop doing this. Was that the one where you just came on like Matt Riddle repulses me? <laughs> No, 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 no. That was I did. What your favorite re- is? What your favorite wrestler says about you was the first one that I did. I did the current roster, and then about two hundred people in the comments lost their shit because I didn't do Steve Austin or The Rock or Stone Cold. I've said I've said Steve Austin twice now. Um, like fucking <laughs> or stunning Steve Cold. Austin. <laughs> yeah, the ringmaster. No, all of those like <laughs> you know they're all the wrestlers that middle aged men like. And it got like 10,000 views or something. So I'm like, shit, guess I've got to do another one. And then I had to do another one, another one, another one. And then that spawned different things. So that's just what I do now. And I think I think people seem to like it just because I'm sort of funny and I've got a weird accent and I'm a girl talking about man things, air quotes. So like it's yeah. new and exciting. But where the fuck was I going with that? Um, Something about TikTok stuff. Oh, God. I've, I've lost my train of thought because I brought you were that gonna, up. Reason. You were going to do a series oh. about something. Oh, a series, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so I basically want to do a thing of like documentaries that all wrestling fans should watch for various mm-hmm. reasons. Because there's a lot of... I get a put Chris Benoit in the Hall of Fame comment about once a week and it's like, I refer you to this documentary and also this one and this one and this thing. Uh-huh. Fuck off. Or, like, or, quite, or quite simply, it, you know, he... Um, he he murdered he murdered his family and then killed himself. Yeah. Um, he's a scumbag. It's like, yeah. oh, it's like oh, but he was really talented. Yeah, but he also did this shit. I think he's lost his right to a fucking legacy at this point. Yeah. But so I've it's... got that. There's dark like Dark Side of the Ring, fucking Beyond the Mat, which is there. I did a I did an art series based on that for my actual degree recently, which mm-hmm. was really fun. I've got a painting that I did of Jake the Snake Roberts that's now in my living room that I did for uni, which is lovely. There's another one that I watch. I don't know if you've seen this, but I watched it recently and it was brilliant. It's um, it's called the Trade. It's um, you know, Sick Nick Mondo, the guy from CZW. Yeah. Don't know if you're like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, it. but not like. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. He made and produced this whole thing. It's like super arty, and it's all kind of about what brought him into this super mental sort of deathmatch type stuff and how kind of his response to his impact because there's there's interviews with it in it with kids that are like 15 16 that are involved with like this crazy backyard deathmatch stuff that have had these like horrible injuries or had this that and they, and they talk about how like Mondo's their hero and whatever and how he's and you know CDW had that guy that was like little Mondo who kind of replicated all his stuff and he's like I'm not okay with it's basically him trying to kind of make peace with the impact that he's had and like Mm -hmm. looking back on his because it all basically came from the fact that he was like a teenager and wasn't in a great headspace and it kind of seemed okay at the time but it really was it's it's a beautiful film and it also brings up a lot of really interesting points like it's so good it's on Amazon Prime go and fucking watch it it's brilliant like I will add it to my to my list so good I'll use my flatmate. Prime has got yeah. Prime's got a ton of like wrestling stuff. I watched the Iron Sheik documentary recently as well. That one's brilliant. Like, oh my god, the Iron Sheik so, is one of my favorite people I, to watch an interview because I you there's him. no control brilliant. or predictability to what he's gonna say. Yeah, his next. like he's just an icon. Like 
the one thing that I will complain about with that documentary though, so they do this thing, like as a lot of things do, they've got like other old wrestlers at that kind of time kind of as talking heads between stuff. Yeah. And he does this bit, it's really, really sad, horrible emotional moment where he talks about um the kind of because he had some quite considerable issues with drugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing that kind of triggered that was his daughter being murdered by her partner. And it's really sad and really horrible, but they've got that bit of the documentary bookended with talking heads of Jimmy Snooker. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I was like, who okayed that? Uh-huh. You're not even have edited it re- retrospectively. Fuck me. Like, See, the Jimmy, <laughs> the Jimmy Snooker stuff is quite interesting with like the varying mm. reactions to it because the evidence is concrete. I mean, I know he's like passed away and stuff yeah I'm sorry to hear that your father passed away to me but we're not going to be friends yeah um (laughs) it's see here's the here's the thing is that I feel unbelievably bad for her and amongst all of that stuff because it's one of these really shitty horrible things where she had to obviously had to stop using her surname they don't really talk about her heritage very much they changed her entrance music so it's like she fell out of a hole in the ground she's not related to anyone (laughs) no cultural background or anything whatsoever um but the thing is, it's like people kind of, I get people in my comments and TikToks and stuff that get mad at me because she's my favourite wrestler because of what he did. And it's like, first of all, she was four years old at the time. Yeah. Secondly, what were they going to do? Fire her for something that her dad did when she was a child 40 years ago. Like that's, mm-hmm. it's really shit. It's kind of like, I've been speaking, I've spoken to someone about it before where it's kind of like, they're really between a rock and a hard place because they can't push her without people getting fucked off about her dad but they can't fire her because it's not fair because she didn't do it. it's just all a bit shite really like yeah I feel like Tamina's yeah. Tamina's kind of stuck in limbo and I, I, like mm-hmm. you know she, she's had like multiple injuries over the years so like yeah. her mobility is yeah, not great you know she kind of moves quite cumbersome in the ring yeah and... she's kind of like yeah it's like she sort of does that one thing where she stands in the background and looks intimidating and she's quite good at that mm-hmm. she does it's it really like, well I'm, I've kind of described her before as like there was this video that I did again talking about TikTok it was like describe your favorite like tell me your favorite wrestler without telling me your favorite wrestler my description was in these words exactly um enters Royal Rumble headbutt headbutt super kick headbutt takes a nap in the corner of the ring for five minutes headbutt headbutt super kick Samoan drop eliminated from the Rumble gets injured out for the rest of the year rinse and fucking repeat like that's <laughs> it's as <laughs> yeah I also love like, when Oh, no, sorry. I, was gonna, I swear to God, I think they've got some kind of like someone needs to look into the link between like Samoans and narcolepsy because her and Roman both do that thing where like in the middle of a battle royal they just go for a kick in the corner for five minutes and it's like. Do you remember when like it's so funny? I was watching one of the last kind of rumbles I watched before, obviously this year's one. Um, was like the twenty sixteen, and they were like Roman is oh, again is like one versus all, and like halfway through they like they get him put through a table by League of Nations and he just fucks off backstage for half an hour and then comes back out at the yeah. end. Like, and the, I can't remember what match it was. I think it was when he was still with a shield where like he gets sparked out midway through the match and he's just lying in the corner of the ring. No one does anything, no one moves him. And then comes back at the end about 10 minutes later for some big spot with everyone else. And they literally had a Roman sleeping chant going and it's like... I, I remember this, yeah. Brilliant. It's so funny. <laughs> Like, I have to say, like what he's doing now, like the tribal chief stuff, it's probably like mm-hmm. it's the best work. I think even like yeah. ahead of the shield stuff, I think it's like the best 
stuff that he's done. I don't know whether it's because mm. he's got like Paul Heyman behind yeah. it. You know, like I feel like anything yeah. he- anything Heyman like is involved Paul in. Heyman could, Paul Heyman could tell me to jump off a fucking bridge and I do it immediately. Like that's he's so brilliant. I fucking love mm-hmm. him. He's one of these folks that when I first started watching, it took me so long to come round to him. But he's brilliant. Like that's oh, I just I love him. Like he's so good. I think that like. It took me a little bit to buy into the tribal chief thing because it got there was a spell around about hell in a cell where it got really really cheesy because they mm-hmm. had that whole thing with the usos where he was like yeah if you lose this match you're getting kicked out of the family or whatever and then it was <laughs> like i was like this seems like a bit much but okay and then yeah like but then it kind of went somewhere good and it oh, it's, i'm really really it's definitely like I hate it when the when wrestling fans are right about stuff, but turning Roman heel really did pretty much fix all these issues. Like that's yeah, they just need because he's so and oh my, I'm so like in his promo work as well. Like someone kind of made the observation of like when he does that thing where he's really calm and kind of like your dad talking to you, and it's kind of intense but still really sort of, and then he just starts Mm -hmm. fucking yelling at folk out of nowhere. It's it's beautiful. I'm I really really like it and like. As it's, much as it's be, it's been so done to death and it's been going on for so long, but his work with Kevin Owens is fucking brilliant. Like that's yeah, it's incredible. So I would stuff. like to make the observ- I would like to make the observation that Kevin Owens is technically Universal Champion. Like he was like down for about four fucking minutes when he was chained to that thing. Like yeah, like Batista <laughs> Batista gets duct taped and tied to a ring post in 2010, and it's fine. You know, Cena can still win, but mm-hmm. Roman Reigns spends three to five business days tied to like a lightning <laughs> rig, and. <laughs> Kevin owns yeah. Disney win. Like the ref just stops counting because mm-hmm. oh no, we better. Well, but then because so, apparently I looked into it. Apparently that spot was meant to be Heyman was meant to turn up with bolt cutters, but basically he couldn't find them, so they just had to have him pissing about with a key for five minutes. And like, see, they've really missed a trick with it because they could have worked something with because they're they're all about like Romans pulled some strings and you know Romans uh-huh. done this like. Um, with, with like the character that he's doing just now, they could have done something like he like bribed the referee or something because they, they love it. They love a bribe in the referee storyline over at WWE. So yeah, well, bribing the referee, and then as soon as the referee, a wrestler makes physical contact with the referee, the referee travels twenty five feet and wakes up unconscious in the car park. Like that's <laughs> fucking ref bumps are the funniest thing to me because they just go fucking flying. It's like, are you made of cardboard? What the yeah. fuck? Like it's so fun. It's when <laughs> um. In the 2010 Rumble, the first one, the Edge one, and Shawn, Ma- <clears throat> excuse me, Shawn Michaels gets eliminated and he super kicks Charles Robinson and Charles Robinson flies about 10 feet into the air. Like, Michaels barely connects with it, but like, he just fucking... Yeah, it's gets, like that, like that fucking punt kick with that, you know, the uh, like ambulance match with Drew and Randy where Drew punts him, but it's about a foot and a half away from his head. Uh-huh. Like... <laughs> and then Randy sells it like he's been hit by a bus. It's brilliant. Like I loved it that when was they, another... when they had like Randy Orton punt Ric Flair in the head. But let's just turn the lights off to suggest that he's been punted. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, maybe he should have actually had done it because then fucking Rick wouldn't have got a chance to get Lacey Evans pregnant, which is a thing that's fucking happening. I I don't really want to think about a seventy two year old man and what he does with his you know between me down there. Like it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Apparently, like she basically turned up to work and was like, "Oh, by the way, I'm pregnant," and they couldn't do anything physical with her because she's involved with Rick. They just had to spin it as it's his baby, and like, I was like, I went, 
I went full fucking Becky Guerrero while I was watching that. It's just like, nope, this isn't happening. Fucking excuse me, no. Like, <laughs> excuse uh, me, but see, my my, my kind of like relationship with Ric Flair as a wrestler mm-hmm. has always been a bit complicated because obviously I wasn't alive in the seventies and eighties when he was in his prime, mm-hmm. and like he was like, you know, the man. He was like Ric Flair yeah. as we, as everyone knows. I only remember him in like his later days in WCW, and then like his last run with WWE which was like for the most part ridiculous and then that one great match with like Shawn Michaels his retirement match and that's it and then I just know him as like that was him retired for good and then six months later he shows up in TNA and he's wrestling Jay Lethal in like his yeah. underwear um, and then he kind of come back and I have to say, I like the initial stuff that he did with, with Charlotte when she was first on the main mm-hmm. roster like the kind of interfering like, ads but now it's just ridiculous it. They've done so many variants on Charlotte versus Rick in the really short time that Charlotte's been kicking about. It's just like, just stop it. Just let him go. Let him go to his fucking bed. He's 72 years old. He's out in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Let's just not. Yeah. Like, it, well, uh, that's, an, that's another thing as well. They keep having these like legends nights and all this kind of thing. Oh, like, all these old men backstage. <laughs> 47 different fucking old men coming out to the ring for three hours at Undertaker's tribute thing. Uh-huh. It's like, and then they just disappeared and then yeah. they just fucked off it's like why did we do I fell asleep during that actually like I kind of started nodding off about mankind and then like after it kind of finished I had Jasmine sort of shiggling me awake by the foot like get yeah, babe you're literally drooling on the sofa I could either go to bed or get up and watch this like yeah. <laughs> and that was I'm... where I learned not to drink an entire bottle of wine during the pre-show of a pay-per-view like that's yeah, dr- drinking during a pay per view is. Le- I used to be really good at it when I was younger, and then mm-hmm. in, in recent years, certainly in like the kind of pandemic era of pandemic pandemic era of like wrestling. We're in the we're, we're in the middle of a paracetamol, honestly. Like, in the middle of a paracetamol. But... <laughs> um, my favorite thing right now is just replacing the word pandemic with like any other word that begins with P. Like it's lovely. It's so stupid, but I we're in the so we're in the middle of a pancake. Yeah. Fucking. Um, <laughs> But I just feel I feel like even though the shows are like technically shorter, you know, because there was that mad rule that Vince brought out, oh, they're not going to go over three hours. They just feel longer now. Like I kind of miss the four to five hour ones because they kind of went in a bit quicker. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I'm loving about like the fact they're doing Mania over two nights again because like that's just I liked that because it's you know like the way that like Wrestle Kingdom and stuff do it where it's you can fit more into it and it feels more mm-hmm. exciting and the cards a bit better and you get more than two women's matches and it's all just lovely so like yeah because like because the last like one night one they did was thirty five and mm-hmm. I was because ex- I because obviously this was pre Corona so like I went to my friend's house and we watched it but like the pre show started at like ten o'clock and then by the time they got through the entire show it was like half five in the morning in the UK yeah um and I was I was at uni at nine the next day pretty much um not because like not because I had a class because I was like forcing myself to study and I just remember sitting in the library and like I literally cannot my eyes were like sandpaper and it it kind of yeah my problem with it like, I think overall thirty five was like a really good show but there's mm. just some things in it you know I feel like could have really benefited from the two night format like you you just yeah. casually have you casually have like a six minute retirement match for fucking Kurt Angle in the middle of all the shenanigans yeah. and it just because it kind of having having it be kind of broken up in a bit kind of adds more prestige because if you'd had like fucking oh what were the two big ones like 
if you'd had the fucking like boneyard match, the Firefly Funhouse match, Brock versus Drew, and what was the what was the other really big deal one from Mania this year? I can't remember. Definitely um, wasn't Braun versus Goldberg. That was a fucking joke. There was what was, it, what was this? What was Night 2's main event? No, Night 2's main event was Drew versus Brock, wasn't it? And we had one we had, was, um, the five, was the boneyard. Edge and Orton in the last man standing match. That was the, the big that one. That was the one. Thank you. Yeah, if you'd had all of that at once, it would have, like, so much good stuff would have gotten lost in the shuffle. So, like, it definitely works. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially uh, given that, like, Edge and Orton went on for about 45 minutes. <laughs> like, that was that a was slog. Like, it was. And, like, I'd... Because, so, Mania this year was the first one that I'd watched, like, I watched live. And I think in the couple of, so basically, um, my girlfriend, um, Jasmine Darko, lifelong wrestling fan, like literally deep friend, like, deep friend of the pod, Jasmine Darko. <laughs> yeah, she was literally like I think since she was about three, probably has been like a massive wrestling fan. Um, when lockdown happened, she was like, "Okay, I'm I'm staying at your flat. Like I can't deal with being at home for like we'd only been dating for like two months at this point." Mm-hmm. I live by myself so she was like I'm coming and staying with you um and then she was like okay by the way I am staying up to watch Wrestlemania this year if you want to that's fine but if you're gonna stay up for it I'm educating you so I got like a kind of quick fire like things like I think we watched both of this that like that year's rumbles and like a whole bunch of other stuff like Taker Mankind Hell in a Cell was the first match that I ever watched so like fucking baptism of fire but, <laughs> that's like your yeah. like bread and butter almost because it gets yeah. played all staying the time up, it's like staying up for mania this year it was like that was the my because i knew that i fucking loved edge like even like i've stolen his name he's at he's one of my favorite wrestlers like period and like i was so buzzing about that match and i was like fucking on the edge of my seat the whole time but then i kind of tried to watch it back and i was like no nah, that was shit wasn't it I could have been about 10 minutes shorter and like, because mm-hmm. if they just cut out all of the points of them buggering about around the performance centre, like walking to and from something, you know, maybe that horrible fucking hangman spot could have gone as well. Like, yeah. It, it, felt, like, it felt quite, I loved the ending to it. Like it was, there was something mm-hmm. quite like Shakespearean about Edge yeah. finishing it with the concerto, but it mm-hmm. just felt like a bit like, you know, when you play the games and you have, like, the backstage brawl option. It you just have felt to like... just set fucking finisher spamming folk until they stay down. Like, that's... Yeah. It... That's, yeah. There, there, was, there was ways around it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the kind of two-night format this year. And I think what was, was, what was good about it is if you were someone watching for the first time like yourself, there was a lot of matches that were just kind of thrown on a couple of days before. Yeah. So, like, you didn't really need to know too much about the like the story yeah. behind it you could just and get like, to know that, the people the, the, the fatal five way for the women's women's smackdown title was what kept me watching wrestling actually because i really fancied tamina and that's why i'm still here <laughs> forgot she actually forgot she was in that match but <laughs> yeah that was no it was actually really nice like the thing her thing at the start of last year was like the closest thing to decent storytelling she's been involved in for ages because basically all of them they like the other four women all like dogpiled her so she couldn't get up Mm-hmm. basically because she kind of came in cleared house it was all lovely and then had that thing with bailey and then lost via roll up and then was off tv for three months like that's yeah it was it, it could have been so good and then it wasn't it was i i had a full-on watching money in the bank had a full-on tantrum and went and shut myself in the bathroom and just screamed for about five minutes i was really upset um i think was, like, with with tamina as well like there's been times where what they've done with her is like 
what you were saying earlier about when she stands mm-hmm. in the background or when she was like the sort of like the diesel kind of figure to like AJ or to like yeah. Naomi like a few years ago she's really good at things like that but when she's just sort of like an interchangeable member of the roster because there's so many yeah. wo- there's so many women in WWE mentioned Tamina. That's the thing is when Tamina first I came think- in there was only like a few of them you know yeah. so it was like but there's loads of them now so it's you have to kind of stand yeah, out that's and- something that i kind of made a point of is the fact that the booking in the women's division is by nature a bit of a shit tip just because they've like not got that say you know the men have a quite defined structure of like this is your kind of main event mid card low card this is the titles they have this is what they do whereas the women's it's like the brand titles and everything else and it's just yeah you, you just you have like the the world titles and the tag titles which mean virtually nothing and it's just a bit of a if they had like a mid-card title or something i feel like that would kind of break things up a bit it would give people yeah. like it's like, people like I've, bailey like, and if they Natalia had like a women's us title or something that would tie it together also you've fucking frozen to fuck and i got about two words of that and then Oh my god yeah no it said my internet connection is unstable much like myself um so can you hear me now this is it's a big gripe that i've got is the fact that like the mid-card title is the tag title but that gets put on people who are kind of slightly further up the thing than like fucking riot squad get them a fucking title i know that they're boring as shit but like they're, they're the only real tag team just give them a fucking shot of it yeah so like if they brought in like a mid yeah the point that i've made is like because like the women's roster overall is like 30 odd people the smackdown men's roster is about 35 just get rid of the brand split for the women and just have them on both shows all the time you've got the same size roster mm-hmm. same amount of space for pissing about mid like have like us title world title tag titles jobs are fucking good and that's all your problem solved like that's it'd be easier to and also they're, they're just they I don't think that enough of the writers just know how women operate because it's like yeah all the feuds are on really stupid bases it's like it's just, I, I've got this whole ongoing joke with my TikTok stuff that I am the CEO of WWE because I made this like thing of like all the stuff that I would change if I was like but it was all stupid stuff like replace retribution with puppies and like get Mick Foley to legally adopt me and like blow up Matt Riddle or something like it was just <laughs> get him and his fucking manky fucking feet away from me I swear to god I hate looking at him he's just disgusting like, if, he, if he even just puts I mean there's like bigger issues at play with Riddle but if he just put like his yeah. put some tape in his feet or something like I yeah, would feel less uncomfortable be, about it I have to say during Survivor Series I was I've never been more happy about anything that's happened during a match than when Kevin Owens started fucking battering his bare fucking feet it's like it just made it brought me so much joy I'm, I'm really grossed out by feet I don't even like my own feet so mm-hmm. that was like it doesn't even really work with his for me it doesn't like when like because Umaga used to do it but that kind of worked because he was like this like someone wild savage sort of, yeah, yeah same thing with like um, Rusev like, in the early days Rusev, yeah it worked with him I'm sort of blanking on the name I was waiting called Miro and then realized that wasn't right um well technically but it is, like, but... Well, it is now, but yeah. I still can't believe that fucking Black Wednesday shit. And now they've signed more people than they fucking released last year, so that makes perfect sense. I'm gonna, I'm not got anything more bad to say about that though, because they signed Taya Valkyrie, and I love her very much. So like, I'll take yes. it. But deep, deep fans of Taya Valkyrie here at the pod. I fucking love her. It's like, oh, she's just. 
I said she literally this is the one something that I pointed out to Jasmine a couple of weeks ago she looks like Alexa Bliss's mum and I find that so funny like, <laughs> even with the ugly you know boots I mean? as well like she's like Tori Wilson on steroids basically like with the outfits because I first like started watching her on like Lucha Underground and it was just like you're so cool I love you please adopt me Mm -hmm. plus also like if they bring her in she's married to Jomo if you brought back Maurice you could have like some fucking something there and it'd be nice and I'd like that like yeah when the inevitable split happens with them again like with mm -hmm. Morrison and Miz like that's something they could work with yeah. but I would or to even be honest just all of them had the tag titles and it was just like some kind of big like ha look at us all looking at us and all of our shiny stuff like that <laughs> the heart business but white yeah that kind of I fucking love the heart business but bringing in an entirely black heel faction this summer seems like a strange move well, in, the same, in the same couple of weeks that they ran a false arrest storyline with a white dude like it's just yeah a, a few of the things they did optics are not words that go in the same sentence are they no definitely not especially because <laughs> originally like the heart business was supposed to be just like a continuation of the nation of domination which in 2020 mm-hmm. 2021 mama that's garbage yeah. <laughs> it's not the, yeah. the way to go but i think that's the thing like mvp is like i fucking love him like he could He's kind of like his work with that fact is very much like you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. And like it's such I really enjoy them now, but it was it was certainly iffy towards the start. Like just why are we doing this now? This seems bad. I feel like you're trying to say something, but I'm not sure what it is. So mm-hmm. that's I think WWE is quite interesting because some of the thing some of the angles that they run that have got terrible starts turn out to be great, like the heart business, like I didn't particularly enjoy Bailey as a heel to begin with, but she's became one of the she was one of the best things mm-hmm. of like the performance center era. Um, yeah. But then things that have got really great starts end up being shit, like the Nexus or um, like Summer of Punk or Retribution the, was briefly Retribution. really promising, and now they're bullshit. But like, even then, they, like they are like loosely based off of Antifa, and that again is. Again, right in the middle of fucking police brutality protests, you've got people turning up in hoodies and wrecking the joint. Like, that seems not great. No. To be fair, I don't even like assigning that much significance to it, though, because, like, Vince, Vince McMahon didn't know what a burrito was until someone explained it to him, so I don't think he actually knows anything about current affairs. That's Yeah, this is the man who hates sneezing when he's talking. <laughs> like, it's... He's genuinely... Yeah. He hates... Yeah. Like, shit pissed himself on a number of occasions purposely shat his own pants to piss off Gerald Briscoe and then immediately went on live television with a fucking load in his pants like that's mm-hmm. um oh, this is a, this is a really, 75 year old man we're talking about it's yeah grim. I read a really great I read a really great thing a while ago where apparently when um CM Punk was on tribute to the troops they all share one room and he apparently got fucking no sleep that entire time because everyone in the room sat was like snoring all night with the exception of Vince who sat up all night farting and then giggling at it that's 75 year old man father of two see in charge person of wwe this is the man that has like i dedicate so much of my money and time to ultimately he's a fucking fire so slay we've talked a lot about um wrestling on on this episode i think it's safe to say we've we've covered a lot of bases there um, I, I wanted to kind of move on and just touch on 
we'll not touch on because we're going to talk about it a bit but <laughs> obviously like the drag side of things because that's how we like yeah. that's how we ultimately met that fateful night at the tracks open stage uh-huh. two years ago yep it's oh a wild God, time. Don't, don't that wasn't fuck off no i don't accept that well like, i just don't accept that i've been doing drag for that long like it just seems weird because i feel like I, I always feel like i started five minutes ago because i've got such a weird inadequacy complex about everything like it's fun like I keep, I keep looking especially now i keep kind of looking back on stuff and being like shit that was this long ago like bleh, it's just I, I don't even know how to fucking process it at this point it's like it's been such a big part of everything for so long that it feels normal now which is insane like I just don't really know how to process it yeah like I think because we had all of that was the kind of time like I'd say probably between like November 2019 and March 2020 I feel like a lot of things happened in the scene you had like your track started and they had that open stage then there was like the rumble infectious and then we had like the awards and drag aid and all this like yeah. really cool stuff just bringing like, the scene together and then covid came was, along like february march was meant or like february into march was meant to be like my fucking busiest month because i had cirque show at the end of january and then i'd done biohazard i'd done glamour i'd been booked to do um Petit's takeover and then i'd had another cirque show and then the world went to shit and then that's I, I periodically still sit and get sad about that gig that never was because that was would be my would have been my Glasgow debut and that's a fucking hell of a show to debut at so it was like yeah oh shit like think about how good last year could have been but no like it's it's a pain in the fucking arse like I can't yeah I mean I know for myself at the end of March last year we had we were gonna have like the Glasgow Drag Roast, which I was mm-hmm. excited, which I was excited to do, and then yeah, like it was, it was one of those things because it was supposed to happen like the week after, or sorry, the week of like lock the lockdown coming into effect. We were kind of like yeah. in that mindset of like, okay, give it two or three weeks, this will boil over, we can do it, and it's now been like a year later. Um, and it's still, and it's, yeah. I have done one show on a stage in the space of the last year and it was an empty room live stream live stream thing at Dundee Student Union for Halloween and like it was just it's just insane because I remember doing that show and just coming off stage and like I want to die that's the worst performance I've ever done in my life and it's not it was quite it was actually pretty decent looking back on it but it's like even if you're in an environment that feels like a drag thing not having a crowd is horrific and like this whole thing with digital drag is totally killing my fucking patience because it's like having to do a thing in front of an audience like without an audience you don't know what's working or what's not and then having to sit and stare at your own face for six hours to edit it it's just like it's been fantastically detrimental to my overall opinion of myself which is really fun I'm completely fine over here (laughs) totally like my child is totally okay what do you mean (laughs) yeah um I think like as well you have the six hours of editing and then you have to like but when you're performing in the moment if something like we were talking about like technical difficulties the other night like if something fucks mm. up you just run with it but if something fucks up and you've edited it and then sent it in and you have to watch it with everyone at the same time it's mm. like how do I make the ground pre- swallow me up <laughs> in like which seconds? is precisely what I did at the last infectious show that I did because I'd spent a painstaking amount of time editing that video that I did as Luna so that it looked like like an attitude era relic it was all like the camera quality was all fuzzy and it was super dark and like moody and really cool 
and I sent you the unedited version and it looked a bit like pish but it was like literally just because the colors were off but I just got so up my like in my own head about that and I was like fine I'll put it on Instagram people can watch it the way God intended and then <laughs> the pretty reckless are psychopaths about copyright so it got taken down within about 10 seconds and then I went and just had a two-hour tantrum like in my bathroom it was really fun genuinely <laughs> like there's a video of me performing the same song maybe want to die on a stage i think it's all sorts cabaret um and originally when i went up you can hear the music but it's literally i think because like the copyright fairies have like struck down upon it now it's literally just me flailing about a stage in silence and it's (laughs) yeah it's uncomfortable that's the thing is you, you that's another issue is that with copyright there's certain artists that hate you using their songs lana del rey's another one that she's impossible to perform i mean She's also a cunt, so who really cares? But um, like, because you've got crowd noise and stuff to kind of confuse the algorithm, it's easier to put stuff up online. Whereas now it's just a straight track with nothing over it, and they go, "Ah, that's my song. Can I be using that? Jail." And it's like, oh, okay, it's fine. I only put eight hours of my life into this. It's fine. Didn't want yeah. anyone to see it anyway. Like, I think that's like because I mean, you like the several infectiouses that you've done over digital drag era i think maybe one of them has come out on time because of um, because of copyright um it's just that whole thing that like, oh, you, you spend I, I wish there was a way for like youtube to like circumvent it and just be like okay it's probably not going to go up so you don't need to sit and wait for mm-hmm. hours to, for it to upload before it like like caves in on itself and then you have to get like yeah poor, poor fucking scarlet man having to like stream it from the comfort of oh, her home no, in brighton like god bless so- her like deep friend of the pod, Scarlet Fever, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just been well. But how how sort of like it all began for you with drag? Like, what was your sort of gateway into it? That sounded really wanky, but you know what I mean. Like, how did you get into yeah, drag? Yeah, no, my 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 gate. My, the first thing that kind of clicked. See, the thing is, I had been fucking obsessed with the idea of doing drag since I was thirteen, fourteen. Like, I was really, really young and. I always say the moment that killed it for me, which is really embarrassing because it's such a shit movie. But I was, me and my mum were both off sick from school and work respectively when I was about 14. And she, I was really obsessed with like Rocky Horror at the time. She's like, okay, here's another movie. This is going to be like the end of you. You're going to get obsessed with this. She put on Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And I was, I watched that and I was just like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And it became a focal point of my personality for about five years. And then I watched some better movies but um <laughs> like ever since watching that it's pish it's really like transphobic and it aged really badly but it's also really like charming and like visually interesting and it's oh I went to Australia with no other purpose than seeing that show like the broad like the stage version of it in in Sydney which is the most insane like waste of money of my entire life to date but um like I watched that, that and then I remember just <laughs> being totally obsessed with drag and I started watching Drag Race at a similar time and like all that I gave a shit about was drag like I was but I was like this is not for me I'm not allowed to, I can't do this like I'm a girl it's disrespectful whatever and then I, I went to uni when I was about 17 like I started uni age 17 and first got exposed to like bingo wigs and stuff I started going to bingo wigs um pride happened not long after I started uni I went to that and I remember the one queen that kicked it off for me was Hyperia, if you remember her. 
because we were what an angel honestly i know i love her so much like she's now one of my really good friends in drag which is insane i remember just wee little baby slay um was like kicking about a pride and i was like i was basically in drag i was in this big stupid gold vintage suit jacket and had this big crazy makeup on and everything and i was standing about and i was like there's this drag queen standing kind of near me with these fucking enormous tits and this little tiny waist and you had this big headband on with the word dyke on it and i was like you can't say that that's not your word way a fucking minute and then i went over to speak to her and i was like women drag queen women do drag me do drag too and she was like yeah sure and i'm like <laughs> okay so um i told my mum i'm gonna be a drag queen and she was like fuck off ed no you're not like <laughs> Because I think that she just knows that I'm, like, I think my mum, like, not entirely unfairly, was very aware that I was quite physically inept and didn't have a whole lot of stage confidence and, like, a whole bunch of, so she was like, it's not a good idea, you're going to be embarrassed, like, don't do it. And I kind of sat on it for a few months and then it was like, there was a drag show at the student union or something, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to this in drag. So I bought a horrible black heart wig on got in terrible drag I had like giant eyebrows and like I had a mustache for some reason I don't know what that was all about and I went to this show and I think I like I I hated being there I was so embarrassed my friends wouldn't sit with me because they were embarrassed to be around me in drag which is weird but then I was just sitting at this show like on myself by myself fucking miserable and Martin came over and talked to me for about half an hour and I was like oh okay someone's being nice to me I think I'm gonna keep doing this for validation purposes and then I did and now as a scene collectively you are stuck with me so that's the whole sort of journey that brought me up to it and like the name Slay Guevara fuck knows where that came from because I do not profess to know a thing about Shea Guevara (laughs) I know that he's a homophobe and I know that having a drag queen named after him would piss him off and that's where it comes from I've never like I did like one look wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt as a dress and that's literally been it. It's got fuck all to do with anything that I do. I just think it's funny. So like, I, mean, and I think I came up, I came up with the name a wee bit after I started doing drag because for a while I was just like doing lip sync battles and like full get up. Like, um, yeah, my name's Edie. Uh, and it's like, nah, drag name hunt. Get on that. Like, great. I think, I think like as, as long with, with a drag name, as long as it's like a great pun, like, I don't think anybody's going to expect you to, like, go on stage and sort of, like, endorse that, like, just start, like, shouting F-slurs and stuff, like, going, like, full, like, Che Guevara, like, handing out, yeah. I don't know, handing out lines of coke in the bathroom and stuff, or, like, kilos of it, you I know? Had, I had, like, an insane idea for a while that I wanted to do a show that was um just me dressed as Che Guevara standing and reading either the motorcycle diaries or the communist manifesto in spanish just in its entirety no background music or anything just me standing reading this book in spanish dressed as che guevara and to be honest i think it can make bank at the fucking fringe so like not complaining there's weird i've seen weirder and worse stuff so like a white boy doing slam poetry this is true like (laughs) i love the idea of you just going okay Chapter one, subsection one, and then just like in a pure like deadpan delivery, just reading out the communist <laughs> manifesto, and yeah, then literally. get. But you should leave the audience in a cliffhanger, like at the not even at the end of the chapter, <laughs> like halfway through, just be like, and this explains why, 
and then just walk off like and then be like they're gonna want to see like Slay Guevara reading the Communist Manifesto episode two electric boogaloo or like <laughs> exactly exactly I am and obsessed. that's the thing it's one thing that I'm totally I'm really obsessed with and the fact that this really like there's a whole thing so basically independently there is another femme queen called Adele Castro that is like we didn't know each other we had no idea that there was another Cuban communist pun named drag queen in Scotland (laughs) and we literally became friends just because we have a stupid pun of the same and we had this whole thing where we were gonna perform you know like um I'm just like you from like the Barbie princess and the pauper movie like I'm just like you you're just like me like that song we were gonna do that as Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. Unfortunately, um, she is from the US and her visa ran out and now she is back in America. And I don't know when I'm ever gonna see her again and that makes me really fucking upset. So if there was like, a way to like do it over Zoom or something, that would just be Philly, I think it'd be genius. Like I'm not gonna lie. It happened completely organically. Like we had no idea who the other one was. <laughs> and I I just like found her on Instagram one day and I was like, shit. Hello? Like we have the same thing going on why haven't we done a double act yet and we had no idea who the other person was and like but now we're pals just because by virtue of having a similar shitty drag name it's great <laughs> genuinely like when i started out in drag obviously like i am fully cognizant of the fact that i am probably not the only salmonella in the world but i am the only the man salmonella in the world um and people like that's would- the main thing yeah, people would find my drag name hilarious when I started, and even just like sort of casuals in the smoking area. But there was one, I got a message after a show one time from a complete random. I've been like, there's someone called Salmonella in New York. Maybe you should quit. And I was like, okay, it's a different spelling, so get to fuck. Also, two. <laughs> maybe you should quit. Fuck off. Maybe I should quit. Two, what's her number? Because she sounds like a good laugh because we've got a similar drag name. So. Yeah, exactly. As well um, as. Like my. Oh, but my, the great thing, like, people, when people get my name, they think it's genius, which I really love, but also there's a lot of people that don't get it, which is really fun, um, and they don't clock that it's a pun, they don't know who it's based on, and they also don't know how to read, so they can't pronounce it. I will not name and shame the people who are responsible for this, but my first two performances that I ever did the first one, the queen hosting it, I had to write my drag name on her hand phonetically so she could introduce me correctly. And I think she still got it wrong. And the second performance <laughs> I ever did, I was the second performance I ever did, I was introduced as Shea Guavira. So <laughs> I feel like that's always unintentionally another pun within itself. I've yet, I don't know why, but it just seems like another pun. Yeah. Um, you said it like the beginning of the episode as well. Someone referred to as Slay Guava, which was just like Slay Guava, yeah. Slay Guava, like that was. I think that was the same person actually at various different points. It took a while for them to click on to what my name actually was, and I still don't think they know what it means. So like, this is the thing about like drag artists. We are like some of the most like purebred, intelligent, like thoughtful, kind people in the world. But when it comes to like common sense and like common pronunciation of things, yeah. We fucking suck balls. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the thing is, is some of us kind of stop paying attention in school as of about primary three. So like, oh, fully. 
We were all See, gifted children, but we didn't give a fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I'm fucking, I'm book smart, but I've got no common sense. Like, it's great. Like, I am the absolute pinnacle of a smart, stupid person, and I find it so funny. Like, <laughs> I I remember, like, I was doing my first Edinburgh, it was one of my first Edinburgh because it was lip line, and Amy Lamore, and I'm going to, I'm going to dog walk her about this when she comes on the show in a few weeks, but because like at the time I was like under the name of like salmonella like just the just the word like no sort of like thought rhyme or reason to it I was just just, just a germ yeah I was like Cher or Moses or something do you know what I mean just like yeah. one name um see that's and... my thing is that if anyone ever tried to call me out on cultural appropriation I'm just dropping the Guevara and I'm gonna be just slay on its own which I <laughs> think is also funny so like because you don't know what people it also are... means that like my, I've been name dropped on Drag Race so many times. Like Yasley, like I get so buzzing <laughs> whenever anyone says it because it's like that's my name. Fucking you've se- yes. you've secretly been the mastermind behind Bingo Wigs this entire time. <laughs> yeah, very that, very that. But but Amy was like, because nobody was like calling me because like Lucy kind of calls me Sal sometimes, but most people would kind of defaulted to Salma. Emil more fully over like the music and espionage was like salmon salmon what's, what's <laughs> what track do you want to what track do you want to do first and i was like i i, I just kind of went i just kind of went with it i was like hey just just the mcdonald's mix will be grand <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it wasn't until we were at the afters like six hours later that i was like just salma's fine like the end is you know it's surplus to requirements doll but <laughs> go for it <laughs> salmon Stunning. salmon it was yeah. It was <laughs> it was interesting. It was I didn't, I didn't think she knew yeah. what salmon was. See, but it's just the literacy because I don't. It's when it, my, my worst, the most frequent pronunciation is Guevara, not Guevara. It's the what? It's like where are you getting the W from? Like, come it's, through dyslexia. Like it's bizarre. Yeah, exactly. It's not even like they're trying to be like cool and up to date and pronounce it correctly in Spanish. It's literally. Guevara. <laughs> Guevara. Uh, it's like G-W-E Vara. It's great. I remember I like people used to alternate for like Havana. People used to like alternate between having a meltdown and Havana meltdown. It's just like simple things like that. Like, people kind of I've heard like people. It's the thing, wrote, no, is even if you say Havana properly, that in cop because you know how it's spelled in combination with meltdown, you get the idea. Like Yeah, it's it's a basic pun, people. Basically, anyone yeah. who's listening to this, we're just telling you to do a wee bit better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just learn how to read and we'll be fine. Like, Just learn how to read. It's honestly. Um, but yeah, I had a question and now I'm just like really mad at pronunciation. But um, obviously you mentioned, obviously, at previous points in this episode, obviously you have your own show, Cirque du Corset, um, with... Mm-hmm. Jasmine, your lovely girlfriend, um, taught me sort of to look first of all how you, the two of you met, and then sort of how that led to Cirque becoming. Okay, a- so we basically um we met before we met essentially because I used to work in Lush in Dundee, and Jasmine would come in all the time, and like we'd talk a lot, and we kind of hit off, but never you know like interacted with each other outside of this customer service thing, and then. I did burlesque for a brief spell before I was a drag queen. I was part of like a slight, a small kind of slightly shit burlesque troupe in Dundee. Um, And I did like two or three shows with them and then was like, 
your creative process sucks change it I'm out here like Dean Ambrose like fuck it um (laughs) and then that was literally what it was it was like nah fuck this I'm done like whatever um so she came to one of my shows because one of her friends was performing on it and like we talked a wee bit and she was in drag and I was like holy shit drag queen oh and she's really pretty oh my god and then she was like holy shit she's got tits wow um so and then we met through the same mutual friend outside of drag for the first time and then I'm not really sure how it came about that we were went from meeting like a couple of times to she's in my house every other day and is now my drag mum somehow (laughs) um and then so we like lived she like lived in my flat we'd like she'd stay at mine all the time after shows and stuff um I became a resident on Cirque um like in quite short or like I did one show with them and then the same show was told that I was a resident which was insane like I've been doing drag for less than a year and like fuck I'm a resident on a show this is a big deal Mm -hmm. um and to dispel a lot of the rumors that I have heard going around about myself I did not in fact fuck my way to that residency we waited a respectful six days until that (laughs) happened but um no when we first met we were in respect in two separate relationships Jasmine went through an exceptionally shitty break like a breakup and was like she was in my house at the time that she broke up with my girl with her girlfriend and like I kind of helped her through that and then I got dumped four days after my birthday like the same month and because we were just so codependent at that point that kind of slipped into she's staying at my house all the time and we're like cuddling and like making out occasionally and yeah we maybe have sex every so often and tell each other that we love each other and all that stuff but we're just friends it's fine so um we were we were just friends for months to the like I remember we came through for hell we came to Glasgow for hellbent at kind of the tail end of the set or the start of December and we were staying over at Kim Reaper's house and we were up until seven in the morning because we had like was like Kim was there I think Brooke Mark was there Diana Morphine had come over we were all just sitting on the floor talking shite for hours eventually Diana and Brooke fucked off Kim went to bed and me and Jasmine were meant to be sleeping on the sofa Kim has two separate sofas and had provided us with two duvets and we made the executive decision to try and sleep on the same sofa and then that was kind of what did it for me is like yeah no this is a thing like we're a thing and it got to new year of new year 2020 and it was after the bells and she'd been my first kiss on the new year and whatever and I was in the bathroom pissed out of my head just after the bells I'm looking at the mirror I was like fuck I'm in love with her I think I'm gonna ask her to marry me wait no there's a step in between that I should maybe ask her if she wants to go out with me I'm gonna ask her if she wants to go out with me so I did she told me to wait until she was sober I asked her out the next morning and um we've we've been together ever since she kind of lived in my house over lockdown we moved in together a while ago we're trying to get a cat it's just like all gay and domestic and lovely and it makes me very happy so that's the things we love to see honestly like just that sounds like a really I'm getting I'm getting really emotional on the podcast but like um, like it's nice to see it's nice to see like a a sort of like like a romance in a relationship like that just develop so organically I feel like and the especially for like you know two women as well because I feel like in the queer community there's such like a stigma against like you know queer women and like women in relationships together so it's nice just to see that sort of come up through like and especially because I think there's a lot of shit specifically going around goes around about 
um cis lesbians dating trans women and how that's not a thing that happens or whatever and it's like that was never a question in my head at all as to whether or not that was going to be a problem it's like I just like from as early as like because we both like started we we were functionally a couple for a good couple of months before we actually were officially dating but it was like so that started in about November and went on until I actually asked her out but um I think probably from about like September I was like this person this is my person like she is my fucking soulmate whatever I don't know if we're going to be together or we're just friends or what but this is my person like we are meant to be in this life together somehow Hmm. in whatever form that takes this is just how it's meant to be like she gets me on a level that no one else ever does and never ever has and like it's just it was really nice it just happened so organically and like we're not one of the we're not one of these couples that gets really pissy about like talking about like the future and moving in together or getting married or whatever it's all just kind of a we can talk about stuff like that in this really kind of matter of fact non-issue way of like yeah we're probably gonna get married at some point don't know when it's gonna happen realistically like moving in together was never an issue it was just like right my flat shit you don't want to live at your mum's anymore let's start looking at houses like there was never a big conversation or a big drama about it it's just like you were just we're adults on the same wavelength yeah you were just you were, we're just on adults the same wavelength it, yeah. about stuff to the extent that it's like we I don't think we've ever had an argument about anything we're just like we're we just we just get each other that's like the best way that I can think to describe it when I see like this is my person that is really what I mean so I think that everyone whether it's like a friend or a romantic partner or a member of their family or whatever has that one person in their life that is just like yep they get it they're on the same thing as me like we are cut from the same fucking cloth it's Mm -hmm. that completely so I'm very very lucky to have her and I'm getting I'm gonna try okay we're not gonna cry Um, drink your drink your gin you'll be grand ultimately that's what it what it's all about it's like as long as they make you happy and as long as Mm -hmm. like you say you have that connection and I feel like it's quite interesting what you're saying about like you're never having like a conversation about you know like doing things you've just been adults and gotten on with it because I feel like there's such a like in relationships there's always that like people have to have that conversation it's like you have I like anyone listening will know that I am no relationship guru whatsoever I've never had one in my life but I've dated people for a couple of months and they've been like so where are we what does this mean for us and I'm like rather than talk about it why don't we just fucking see where it goes and like just instead of like Mm -hmm creating these pointless fucking like milestones and like sort of landmark mm-hmm. things to hit just fucking just do it that, so, yeah it's even just the fact that we were effectively functioning like a couple for so long before we actually dated like because i think like before we before we went on an actual date and by the way our first date was we went to the cinema the day after New Year's Day to go and see Jojo Rabbit, which by the way is not a date appropriate movement and absolutely <laughs> shat all over the not a date appropriate movie, shat all over the mood. It was horrendous. Um, I just thought it was going to be a comedy about a kid whose imaginary friend is Hitler, but no, it was so much worse than that. But um, yeah, so we didn't go on our first date until we had um, shared a bed, made out, done, gone fucking full base with like this whole sex thing and like she I think she stayed in my house for like more like a week at a time and like we just were like 
we would literally I went home for Christmas that year I was home for 48 hours and we were texting each other the whole time like I miss you when are you coming home I'm gonna come to your house and wait for you like it was just we were just joint at the hip for so long that nothing was weird or awkward it's just like this seems like the natural next progression of what of whatever the fuck is going on here like it was great and it was feel like, again talking about that one time that we ended up like trying to sleep on like one sofa and bear in mind I'm quite a, a hefty woman like I'm quite curvaceous as it were Jasmine is six foot two and realistically built like two of me sellotape together like the two of us trying to spoon on a sofa is not doable so the fact that we went through that and Kim came downstairs and was just like the fuck are you doing like there's another and we didn't she had no idea that we weren't together like she was just running on that assumption until oh, the January circle we're like yeah we're a couple now and she's like what you weren't already like hello it was brilliant well, like, something? yeah yeah <laughs> it's great I just I'm having this I'm having this like image of you like trying to like top not even like top and tail just like try and get on this couch somehow like even I think like, we regardless. ended up taking the back cushions off of it just so there was a wee bit more space I had like one arse cheek on it I was holding myself up with one foot on the floor like it was just oh it was hilarious and again because we didn't even try and go to bed until about half seven in the morning because like look Kim had fallen asleep face first in the KFC our boyfriend had fucked off to bed Brooke was still there for some reason it was literally like jasmine and diana talking shite for hours and i'm sitting like can we go to bed please i've got a class at like midday tomorrow and i'm not even in the right city for it like <laughs> it was it was brilliant like jeez now my question about that night is did diana morphine give you one of her flavored cigarettes because that's an experience within itself she did not actually um yeah no i think i'd gotten to the point of like because I, I don't really, or at least at that time, didn't really smoke unless I was on a night out. And because Kim's one of the few people that I've ever met that lets you smoke in her house, I'd been chain smoking through pre-drinks and getting ready. And then the entire way through all the breaks of hellbent. And then I was just like, I think I'm going to die. Let's just not. So I never experienced that. And now I'm slightly mad that I didn't because it sounds like an experience. Like it, It's wonderful. I think there was one late. I was literally... I think it was one of the nights I was doing mother tucker or something. We were in the like, obviously, you know, the pole smoking area. You've got to go up about 18 flights of stairs to find it in the first place. And she handed me, I think it was like a, an infusion of like blueberry and raspberry or something. And All like right. af- after my, I think I was, it was one of the nights that I did stand up. And after it, like, mm-hmm. my eyes were kind of watering. And I'm like, oh, Sam, are you crying because you're emotional? I was like, no, my eyes are fucking watering from the blueberry and raspberry <laughs> that I've just like. That sounds foul. Like, it was it was quite it was quite nice to be fair like mm. it, it was it was a lot better than like I, I don't know if like you guys had this at like your school or whatever but like there always was that one kid who would bring in the black cigarettes and they would just there was no like specified yeah, flavor I didn't to have them friends at school and i wasn't cool enough to smoke so like me neither i was sat there with like my head, <laughs> i was sat there with my head boy badge on like i am a role model yeah. to the rest of the, i'm bailey i am the <laughs> role model like <laughs> you're the role model no i i was a prefect we had different tiers of it so we had head girl and head boy senior prefect and prefect so like all of the other stuff it was like a popularity contest we all voted for it and then the just the bog standard prefects were like the dummy prize for if you'd like applied to be a, a senior prefect or head girl or whatever and no one had voted for you so i just got a wee bit of ribbon on my, bra- on my blazer and i had to shout at kids in the fucking like 
baguette bar queue at lunchtime and that was the extent of her duties still Not put it on my bar. application but yeah. oh no it was her it was hideous like and just honestly I, I think about the weird bits of schools I went through a phase when I was in sixth year and this is very like quirky pick me girl but it was a good idea I used to bring in a Ziploc bag full of cereal to school with me and then buy a bottle of milk at break time and sit and eat cereal out of a plastic bag for my break that sounds like sounds better than school food to be fair that was like that was what I was known for in sixth year was that was my whole thing was just eating cereal out of a plastic bag and then there was one kid that won up me because he used to keep a bowl of spoon in a box of cereal in his locker and go and give people cereal at free periods and it was like that was my thing Murray go fuck yourself like that's not even the weird it's not even the weirdest thing I've heard when I was doing my master's my friend Molly would just come in and chat like it was like a ziplock bag but it was just like oats and like <laughs> like, like oat flakes and stuff and I was just like are you okay nice. on um but no, she was clearly. like she, she was like I am content um this everything's everything's grand yeah. I was just like um one I'm, of my sat, friends, I'm sat there with my one, subway just like this is okay like yeah. <laughs> one of my friends who graduated quite recently had an album on her Facebook of just the hideous things that she'd put in her body while she was in the library because she couldn't because she was doing a master's and she just could, didn't have the time to like go home so it was like uncooked noodles and a packet of, and like little packets of soy sauce she'd gotten free from like a sushi restaurant or like oat cakes with vegan mayonnaise I think my favorite <laughs> one was pe- it was like peas tofu and soy sauce that she just put in a Tupperware and microwaved in the library and it was it, like it's genuinely like a uni library at the best of times is <laughs> you, you do t- have to kind of fend for yourself and Mm-hmm. you know like whatever you eat you know like, it could be like yeah. literally anything you just have to roll with it dundee uni have this weird like i actually got shouted at by a med student in the library last year when we were still allowed to go outside because um so basically if you're at Dun- i don't know like at like dundee uni there's a ranking system right so the word the bottom of the fucking barrel Aberdeen uni they can fuck off their scum just below just just above them is dj cad which is the art school which is what i go to and the entire rest of the population of the uni hate us and i was sitting trying to write an essay in the library just because like my wi-fi wasn't working so i'd had to go there because i had nowhere else to write this fucking essay and had my like art books out on the table and this med student came picked up my stuff dropped it on the floor and was like sorry you're taking up a desk from someone that like deserves it more and i'm like there's like 15 free desks please leave me alone like get a grip and turns out they were a first year med student and there's a whole big thing about how like first and second year shouldn't be allowed in like the library is like the fucking hunger games i don't get it fully like it's insane i i have never experienced so i mean i've I've been a drag artist for four years but ultimately like the most like sociopathic behavior i've experienced is in a uni library um, not backstage at a drag show but in a uni library yeah, like, it's like you get up to pee and someone's put your fucking bag in the bin like it's just yeah. intense people will it's... just leave like people will have like a, a two hour like lab or something to go to and they will leave mm. one singular notebook on a desk as like a a means of reserving it until they come back later in the mm. afternoon and it's like I could ease I, I will I will put your notebook in one of the like study rooms the private study rooms that you have mm. to reserve and you'll like it because I have 
I mean, Shit I went do. for a wee. I went for a wee once, and someone had taken all my stuff, including my laptop, and put them directly next to the sink, which was an experience. Again, I had all of my like art textbooks with me, so I think they must have just taken issue with me personally, because the art school does have a library, but it's not a study space. It's just a room with books in it. So yeah. it's like they've you've got your own library. Fuck off! Like you should go and do a real degree, and it's like. I we have to write fucking things too. It's not just coloring in. It's a lot of coloring in, but there's more to it than that. Like, hmm. it, there's, there's theory behind it. Like, I I'm yeah. not the mo- I'm not the most artistic person in the world, but like I did like I got up to in one art in school. Um, I did my essays mm-hmm. on Coco Chanel and Vivian Westwood and stuff. So like there is like mm-hmm. and like I, Frida, I did Frida my Kahlo, but... I did my advanced hire one about um uh what the fuck's her name. Uh, Gerda Wegner, who's like the one, like not the one that the Danish girl's about, but the wife of the one that the Danish girl's about, and like right. the lesbian subtext and all her paintings. And my art teacher, who's aggressively heterosexual, had no idea what I was doing and marked it really highly because she was confused, and that made me really happy. Like, <laughs> I think she's like, yeah, if I if, if I give her a shite grade on this, I think it might be a hate crime. So like, let's just pass her and like call it a day. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's school's wild, but um, yep. yeah, back to drag. Um, uh-huh. I'm steering this conversation back to to, to probably reality a good somehow. idea. I need I need to be steered aggressively in the correct direction because I just like I like meander all over the place talking about stuff. It's ridiculous. It's it's so immediately obvious that I am sl- at the very least slightly autistic and have no attention span. But there you go. Um. Listen, I think it's like it's commonplace for like a drag artist, like attention span. Even though we have like attention to detail, attention to everything mm-hmm. else, it's gone. Honestly, like the same. But yeah. was it one thing I wanted to ask you? Just you know, with like mm-hmm. the kind of recent season, of like Drag Race UK. Obviously, Ellie and Lawrence have had massive discussions mm-hmm. on that show about like the payment of drag artists and mm-hmm. Ellie in particular, because I know that you obviously you work. She never says McDonald's on the show. It's, I work in a drive-through. Mm-hmm. I work in a fast food place because you can't say McDonald's yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I know that you work in that kind of environment as well. So I wanted yeah. to ask, like, how have you found sort of? Obviously, it's different in COVID because digital drag and stuff. But how have you found like balancing working full time, studying full time, and also mm-hmm. doing drag like full time, well, basically yeah, full time like, as well? It's a lot. Like I think I've had shoot. Like I've had weeks. I had. I think it was like the busiest like fortnight of my entire life in like about February going into March last year where I had like bio I was I did biohazard and then I had I was working both days at the weekend and then I did glamour and then I came home from glamour and I had to like I'd, I may, I'd had to like I was doing a uni project at the time where I was doing makeup design on people to take photos so I had to like pain and spank and then take photos of her for a uni project and then like go I went to bingo eggs that night and then I had like a few days off I went to work I was at uni every single day in between this and then like the next week I did glamour and then I was painting someone else and I had a circuit at the end of the week and then the world went to shit at the end of that week and it was like I was almost happy about lockdown just because I was like I'm ready to fucking collapse like it's it seems like it's going to be a lot of work but it's also because the only thing that I ever have to do that's taxing is going to work because I hate my job I make no secret about hating my job but like 
because I'm such a creative person, I always have been like drawing is an outlet for me. So doing uni for the most part doesn't feel like work because I'm doing a colouring in degree. And then drag is such a creative space. And because I don't really have to conform to other people's shit, I can just do my own thing and have that be my kind of like, I'm doing the, the uni stuff that's not hugely stressful because it's drawing and I like doing that. And then my arts and my drag stuff, which is just fully cathartic. Like I'm doing this because I like it that's like I, it kind of like it makes it balance out in a way but also I kind of I don't know how I ever had the attention span to even if I had gigs that week get in drag for free and go to shows in drag that's inconceivable to me at this point like why did I do that like yeah I cannot believe that I would like sit in a corset for three hours to play bingo like that just seems mental <laughs> but it's like I'd be sitting like cannot stand up in fucking like heels and like tiny ass corset and fucking wig and everything and it's like I am playing bingo on a Tuesday night what am I doing like yeah there's no shade to bingo wigs I I appreciate that show and everything that it has done for me and for like leading to me discovering drag but drag bingo as a concept can fuck off you could not pay me to pay play bingo in any other circumstances so why is it okay because there's drag queens <laughs> I don't get it. I think it's, it's weird. Not... I'd, like drag twister or something. I could get behind that, but drag like I don't know, drag um drag capture but... the flag, that'd be a vibe. Like I would be so here for that. Or like drag I think drag monopoly would just be the biggest we'd load kill of cards. Yeah, like we would because... ca- there would be actual deaths. We all, we all come from these like different backgrounds and stuff, which will have subsequently different rules for the game. So it would just it wouldn't be a case of like how much money have you got? It's how many fucking limbs have you got by the end of it? <laughs> <laughs> it's whoever still breathing wins. Like that's oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. No, bingo is pish. I don't care how many like poo jokes you can make in calling the numbers. It's not an enjoyable experience. I hate drag bingo. I've always hated drag bingo. <laughs> It's not I anyone that actually does these shows. I just think it's a shit concept and I don't know why it's a thing that exists. Like fair. Fair. Like what, um, who, whose idea was it? Oh god, I so <laughs> just like title of fucking podcast, Slay Shoots on Drag Bingo for 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm really a huge problem in my life. Who knows? Spills the tea on her hatred for bingo. Fucking like pipe bomb. Like I'll go and get a fucking hoodie on and sit cross-legged on the floor. It's gonna be great. Um, <laughs> but I think that we were saying that like going to the shows and sitting in drag for three, four hours for free. Is, I think that's like it's one of those things. I you know I, I didn't do it too much when I started drag, but I did you know have the odd mm-hmm. evening. It's kind of like I would not do that now. I will not yeah. be in drag unless I absolutely I have to. That's the thing is the shows that it's worth putting in the effort for because if I'm traveling to go just to see a show in Glasgow or Edinburgh or whatever that I maybe want to get booked at, I will turn up in drag just to be like, hi, I exist. I'm a drag queen. Pay attention to me. Please put me on your show. Mm-hmm. But like, if it's just my like local thing, I'm like, why did I go to all that effort? I would leave uni early to go and get in drag. And it's like, you're just uncomfortable and fucking grumpy all night. And then you got to come home and try and take makeup off while drunk. And it's just a whole thing. Like, there's no point. Stop it. Like, yeah. It's like, especially because like the nights that I would have infectious, you know, back when we could do it live, I would have that from like half seven until 10. And then, you know, it's Wednesday, it's Glasgow, so everyone's going to be in Dell. So I would go to suck that another two hours in drag, followed by 
the subsequent three or four hours in polo and then knowing me like this time a year to 18 months ago another three hours in the casino as well and it's mm-hmm. like I am only actually getting paid for two of those hours why am I subjecting <laughs> myself to it's 12 my, hours of drag my worst one is um like is hellbent it's always going to hellbent is getting a drag for that is such an investment because like I love it it's worth it and also like I feel cool like I like just being super gothy and like because until lockdown when I kind of was like fuck it I'm an alt queen now it was the only time that I could do like I was kind of known as this like sort of campy like burlesque thing and it was like no I want to do the goth shit fuck off but um so it was the only time that I let myself do full goth drag so like I would get in drag to go hellbent and then either and we'd be we we'd leave the house at the back of nine go stand about in catty for ages the show's midnight till three in the morning and what we would either do from there is go back to kim's house and sit around until 7 a.m and like in in drag like or taking it off with makeup wipes or whatever which does not work you'd be as well sleeping in your makeup <laughs> or we would leave it leave the show at this like the second that it finishes go to mcdonald's or taco bell or whatever sprint to the bus station get on a bus home to dundee at four in the morning in full drag de-drag to the closest possible extent on the bus get home probably not shower probably sleep in my makeup get up the next day navigate a wiper in my face get up and go to uni so that was the, the one that's like <laughs> what was the what was the like i literally remember the last hellbent i went to sitting on the bus home and I was like trying to get out of my tights while still sitting down because the toilet was shut. And I was like, I need to go to sleep, but I cannot sleep with my tights on. I've got spanks on. And I'm like, okay, take your tights off because they're uncomfortable. You can't take your spanks off because then you're going to be bare arsed on a bus seat. And that's just not okay. You can't do that. Like, it was just this whole insane internal dialogue of like, how much of my clothing can I take off and still be acceptable to be out in public? <laughs> <laughs> At what point do we cross the line here? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you're familiar with my drag in any way, you know that my line for how many clothes can I be out in public in is not a fucking lot. Like, pants <laughs> and some duct tape on my nipples, and that's it. Like, that's been the biggest downside to digital drag for me, is that I can't be naked, and I like being naked, and that makes me upset. Well, this like, is the thing. Like, a lot of these platforms, like Twitch and YouTube, they've mm-hmm. got a fucking bee in their bonnet about, like, they'll be perfectly... Yeah. Fi- like. You, you you want us to watch someone playing like fucking Crash Bandicoot on a stream for five hours, but nudity <laughs> is out of the question. Like, yeah, come on, too fuck. Like, like. I I made my mind up months ago that my first performance back is gonna be Metalingus as nature intended it because I wanted to strip for that, but I couldn't. And I was already nervous that I was gonna get your stream taken down because I was wearing assless chaps, and I was like my butt crack is going to get this stream taken down and that's just ridiculous. I'm going to feel so bad. Like, Is that, was, that, it's, is that point though where it's like anything literally could get the stream taken down? I'm just like, yeah. this, this this dress shows off my collarbones. Will this or will this not make yeah, it past? I remember like, um, when I did um, a performance to um, Steady As She Goes as like, I've got this whole alternate drag character who's like a mafia wife that murders her husband. It's a whole thing. It's got its own like extended universe at this point. But I did this performance where I was like the wife and the husband and did both sides of the song as them. And I had this like shot where I was like going to point a gun down the camera and it's a really shitty plastic toy gun that I got from Poundland. 
And I remember messaging, because it was for a Lunar Brunch show, and I was messaging Havana, like, am I allowed to do this? Am I going to get your stream taken down? Like, can you vet this for me? Like, what do? Help. <laughs> like, I, I went to the point where I'd drawn, like, these big white highlights on it just to make sure it looks really cartoony and was, like, definitely not a real gun. And I was, like, I was still sitting watching it, shitting myself. It's like, does that count as a weapon? And, like, I'd also spat blood all over myself. So I was like, is that going to kill it? Like, it's just a really weirdly stressful experience because, like, all of these platforms exist on such a hair trigger that you don't know, is this going to kill the stream? Is this too much? Is my music going to get it taken down? Like, you know, it's just... You have to yeah. think about stuff so much more than you used to. Like, I, I miss being able to just rock out with my bum out on stage and, like, call it a number. It was great. I like... like <laughs> I think, like... It, in venues like maybe the only thing that the venue whatever venue is will maybe have a problem with is if there's any fluids on the stage other than that yeah. it's no one's barred like. the funniest interaction that i've ever had while asking to get booked for a show because i remember like um the first my debut in edinburgh no my, my edinburgh debut was tracks it was a tracks open stage but the first like show that i had been booked for as like a featured act essentially was uh biohazard and i do this act to bloody mary by lady gaga where i am like you know the whole urban legend about the woman coming out of the mirror and stuff and i spit blood all over myself i pour it all over myself i've got it under my gloves like it's just me rolling about with my boobs out in some blood which is it's sexy it's great but um i remember i'd messaged mystica about doing glamour because like it's a cute venue i wanted to do the show and I was like, hey, have you got any dates for, like, whenever? And she was like, yes, um, you can do next week. Please do not bring that act. Like, <laughs> do not make a mess. No yeah. blood. I know how you operate. Don't do that. And it was like, all right. And then that, that was just, it was so funny because that show was also one of my first overt experiences with uh, cis men being a dick to me because I happened to own a pair of tits. That was really enjoyable. Um well, that was um that that was my next sort of thing that I wanted to touch on. Obviously, yeah. you know, you are a woman that does drag. Um, mm -hmm. while I think that obviously I can only speak so far on this because I am a man who does drag. Um, but I whispered that for some reason. I don't if I was like fucking Anthony Hopkins and Science Alarms. But yeah, you know, while I while I think that things because me and Misty spoke about this when she was on a few weeks mm -hmm. ago, like things are certainly getting better. Um, yeah. you know, like in terms of like. Obviously, we watch wrestling as well. It's getting better for mm -hmm. treatment of women. Not great for the treatment of women in that, but, you know, slightly better. It's not ideal. They're working on it, kind of, sort of, maybe. But kind like... of, sort of, maybe. When they can be fucked, really. But yeah. I, ju I just wanted to kind of, for you to kind of talk through just, like, sort of your experience, any sort of, like, positive or negative experiences, really, mm. that you've had, you know, so, as a woman who does drag. Yeah. To be honest, I think that the thing is, is I hear a lot of chat about, like, misogyny in the drag scene and whatever, and I think... It does not, it's not uh, the calls coming from inside the house situation. The drag scene, in a broader sense, like people who do drag are more often than not pretty chill with the idea of folk who are not cis men doing drag. Like they've been primed on that. The only, the issues that I've consistently had are with audiences. Because I had, as I was saying, when I, when I did Glamour, I did um, a song from Cat, I did a song called Don't Tell Mama from Cabaret, which is one, it's my, one of my favorite acts I've ever done. I had this huge big, um chill like boa thing and the whole point of the song is like um i've like fucked off to europe without telling my mom and i'm now a stripper please don't tell her like that's the whole vibe and it's adorable and i looked i looked gorgeous i had this big like bouffant hair thing whatever 
uh, and I remember standing in the smoking area after I'd performed and this guy stood chewing me out because um, my performance wasn't accurate to the source material because I didn't have Liza Minnelli's like hair from Cabaret. Who gives Liza a fuck? Minnelli ne- <laughs> Liza Minnelli never performed that song. It was replaced with Mine Hair in the movie version of Cabaret. The version that I was doing was by Judy Dench, who had her hair in a big bouffant thing while she was performing it. So, uh, fuck off. And yeah. like, I've had, I think it's like my biggest thing is people like, especially the nature of drag that I do, feeling very comfortable with touching me. And like, I had a whole big experience with that at the start of last year that I'm not going to go into because that you will get me crying on this. And I feel like that's not what you want. But um, like people, I've had people that kind of, have been confused by the concept of me and how do we pull on a nipple tassel or whatever to see if my boobs are real or whatever and it's like no I don't know why it matters like it's just a really it's really strange like I think that the whole issue of women doing drag has by and large been dealt with in the drag scene like anybody who is anybody in this scene understands it at this point the issue that you get is with Halloween Britney Spears impersonators and like straight or like cis gay guys at shows that are like their only exposure to drag is RuPaul and like it's it's one of these things like I did this that interview with BBC recently which you may or may not have seen it was a bit shite I don't know I did I, I watched it made, yeah I kind of made this point of like you can't really reach people unless they're willing to be reached on stuff like this so the audience issue it's a thing that's going to improve in time and I think if shows keep featuring women and keep giving us a spotlight and like or just people in drag who aren't cis men period if they keep them not in the spotlight per se but if they make sure that they're a constant prevalent feature of their shows people are going to learn to stop giving a shit because whether or not you as an audience member think it's okay whoever's in charge of the show clearly does so it's like just keeping an like keeping a light on us in some way is kind of the best way of dealing with that issue just like yeah we're here we're not leaving just if you like it enjoy it if you don't fuck off we don't need you here like it's it's very that like yeah it's that old age like art is subjective like I think you know as an audience mm-hmm. member I will always look at someone and I'll measure whether or not I enjoy their performance on the talent that I see in front of me and like you yeah. know, just if that person's having fun on stage that's and... that's something that I've also I've always said is um as much as I do agree that you know we need to kind of improve our treatment of you know of women and um like non-binary and trans people etc in drag I also don't really agree with the whole tokenism thing and all lineups have to have one person that ticks off each thing it's like I feel like it can be a bit of a double-edged sword because like I don't want to subscribe to this whole thing of being a token I, I I've said it a hundred times I'll say it again I don't want to be good for a drag queen with a fanny I want to be a good drag queen cut and dry period like I, I'm not interested in if the only reason that people want to book me is so that they can have a token woman on a show or whatever that's not what I'm about I want my talent to be recognized for what it is for being good drag or inventive or whatever I don't want it just to be oh yeah she's one of them fucking femme queens whatever get her on there so we look good like I don't want that to ever be the situation and I think that 
it's almost like this whole thing about it's almost like it can go too far in the opposite direction sometimes where people feel like they have to have every single box checked of diverse drag on a show and it's like if that's your only motivation behind booking people who are marginalized in drag you're doing it for the wrong reasons like book us because we're talented not because we tick a box like that's kind of yeah yeah I think the people who I, I agree like pretty much with everything you've said there like I think the people who genuinely want to be inclusive in this scene will just do it subconsciously they won't like actively be like okay I need to have you know one person of colour you know in the Scottish scene we don't yeah. have that and many people of colour in the scene we like, sat like because I was speaking to Jasmine about this because she's like I don't want to say an exact number just in case I'm wrong but there's a, like I think less than 10 people of colour in the Scottish drag scene Jasmine being one of them and it's like yeah. it would there'd be like seven or eight like five six seven eight people that are the busiest fucking queens in the Scottish scene if they were just booking people based on POC tokenism and it's like it's not kind of it's like I think that's something that is important to kind of acknowledge is that Scotland is a very very white drag scene predominantly and it's like yeah it's not so much that I'm militantly like I want to change that because you know we're not going to force people to do drag that don't want to but it's also like I don't really know where I'm going with that point honestly I think it's just kind of acknowledged that we are a scene that's incredibly kind of heavily colored by white privilege just because of the sheer number of us and it's like Mm. I feel like me talking on this issue is really not like as a white lady kind of feels not the most appropriate but it's definitely something that needs a little bit more acknowledgement that as much as we by and large the Scottish scene is one that is very inclusive of queer minorities and that we have a lot of women and a lot of non-binary people and a lot of trans people we're also quite a prevalently white scene I think we're all privileged in some aspects because of that which is something that needs to be acknowledged a little bit more than I think it is so yeah and I think it's especially, always especially being so close with one of the own like one of very few queens of colour in the Scottish drag scene it's like you can kind of, it's I kind of see a bit of a side of that that I wouldn't otherwise and it's like it's incredibly eye-opening because I think that especially I think Jasmine's all definitely going to touch more on this in her episode but like being one of a very very small handful of Muslim drag queens in the UK at all is like mm-hmm. it's a huge thing and it's like yeah it's definitely not an issue that's kind of addressed enough here but again it's not really my deal to talk about so I'm gonna just shut the fuck up now because it feels appropriate <laughs> no like I, like again like I agree like I think in, t- in terms of like you know people of colour and like queer women and trans people and things like that it's kind of like what you said earlier it's just about spotlighting these people but it's not mm-hmm. with a view of like okay we need to have x y and z on the lineup it's just about you know recognizing these people for their mm-hmm. for their talent and, and spotlighting them in that way and hopefully yeah. you know like that will sort of i mean it, it'll take a lot i think to permeate the subconscious mm-hmm. of your average gay man in the audience but yeah you know if but... we take if we take those steps as showrunners and things like that then it's definitely you know i like but when I started drag, it was like people would sort of put in like italics or fucking something on their forms or however it is that you get in touch with them to to, to apply to perform the show. Mm-hmm. It's like, we are inclusive and we do include, you know, femme queens and trans people. And I was like, okay, don't tell me it, just fucking do it. Like, you know, 
I think that's like going to be like the the mantra yeah. of this episode. Like whether it's talking about like relationships or like inclusivity in the scene, just fucking do it. Like just fucking do it. Because that's the thing is, I think that I as much as people like to complain about how non-inclusive the kind of Scottish or UK drag scene is, at least we're not in the same situation as like the US where they have a lot of like bars and whatever that will refuse to book femme queens on premise or refuse to book mm-hmm. trans queens. Because I think that that's something that I we're incredibly fortunate in in the Scottish drag scene and the UK drag scene at large that we don't really have that uh, that problem isn't as prevalent where femme drag is treated as this kind of big fringe thing and it's like only some places will welcome it and we have so many more like diverse drag performers here in terms of um gender and whatnot and like than a lot of other places do because I think that in especially in the US it's like you'll get some places that'll hire trans women like mask aligned non-binary people or AMAB non-binary people and cis men and that's kind of it like if you own boobs in any capacity even if you're a king or whatever fuck off it's like yeah the fact that we are pretty anything goes drag scene in terms of the country in general is something I feel very fortunate in so I, I do appreciate that and I've never again the only opposition that I've ever had to my existence as a femme drag queen is to audience members who aren't educated on it I've never ever had a problem with a showrunner on that basis and I'm like if I'd had to deal with that even once, I'd have quit on the spot. So I'm really, really glad that I've not had to deal with that level of opposition to it. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's like it's like I say, things are definitely. I still think you know, so long because you know, mistaken I touched on this when she was on. It was like so long as something like Drag Race is in like the mainstream, yeah, and that you know, like RuPaul's whole philosophy, it's like drag loses mm-hmm. its sense of irony. I'm like, what is more ironic than? A woman yeah. being celebratory of her femininity. The like... Yeah, there's something that I find quite like. I tweeted about this a while ago, and it got a weird amount of traction for the stuff that I kind of put out on Twitter, where it's like it's incredibly alienating to watch Drag Race as a woman because you have the judges making these crass, horrible jokes about you know vaginas and how they smell bad and all this other stuff, where it's like your art form is inherently based around emulating femininity and emulating women if you are not including women in that in some capacity you totally lose touch with it because you get these queens that it seems like they've they've never met or spoken to a woman in their life besides maybe their mother and like and even then the mother was reluctant about it yeah (laughs) it's like you can see that in the way that like because that was someone I'm it was I'm hesitant to I'm not going to actually say them but there was one specific um on the the daytime tv challenge on drag race it was there was one performance specifically on that that I was like have you ever met a woman it just felt so misogynistic and like do you really think this is what we're like Mm. and it's like it's just again it's bizarrely invalidating as like a woman to watch it and be like yeah people are being praised for you know being effeminate and whatever but like we do that and you tell us it's not real drag or it's conforming to standards rather than because I talked about this before about how drag is a really important facet of gender expression for me because I'm like I've been having an ongoing gender crisis that I can't really be arsed with for about three years where it's like yeah I'm somewhere on the spectrum of being non-binary realistically but because I'm kind of specifically in drag lean so close to that kind of hyper femininity that's the reason I love doing drag in a way is to 
be able to be this absolute extreme of what being feminine and being a woman is and have it still be viewed as me expressing myself that's something that is super valuable because I think if you're like a feminine woman in society it's kind of you're just you're meeting a standard it's not expressing yourself and that's something that I kind of feel a bit shit about so that's why like drag is super important in that aspect because it's like this is me this is how I feel most comfortable if I could be arsed doing this every day I would because it's when I feel the most myself and like I don't know there's I've got a whole bunch of layers to it that are all really strange but like that's kind of it is like I really is like the fact that men playing femininity in a really stereotypical shitty way is viewed as more of an art form than women doing it even though in its own way being a super feminine woman is almost more rebellious because we are told constantly that it's conformity or like you know there's this whole weird pressure about like how like feminists not like not feminists but like I'm losing the point that I'm trying to make here but like you're conforming to society rather than doing your own thing and it's like yeah if you're a woman that like wears shirts and jeans and suits and everything that's like super anti-conformist and whatever but like if you wear a dress or whatever it's like yeah you're just doing the the, the standard it's like that yeah, can be expression too essentially like yeah it, it's basically like gender performativity like I think why can't a woman like then perform her femininity and hi- like you say hyper extend mm-hmm. it and, and things like that so yeah completely and it, again, instead it like, just gets looked down upon for whatever reason yeah like, you know? and that's what I'm kind of hitting at is that drag coming from cis men kind of loses this connection and kind of mm-hmm. it becomes less about celebrate celebrating femininity and celebrating women and then dread like comes more into parodying it and misogyny and it's kind of like it's a very fine line to walk and you kind of see that especially in that like this one portrayal I don't know why this got so far up my arse but it was like this one person on Drag Race and I was like do you really think that we this is what how women operate this is not like yeah I remember one of my first experiences of a drag sorry one of my first experiences of a drag show it was I think it was in Gran Canaria with like my parents Mm. and it, it was a really good show, don't get me wrong, but like this this one particular queen did a bit. Um, like they got on the mic and it was just sort of like, me and the girls, we went down to the shops and we had some cocktails and the audience were beside themselves at it. I'm like, do you really think yeah. all women speak like that? Like, like yeah, go to the shops and drink cocktails? Like what it is. And it's like, it's just so kind of disconnected and like disingenuous because you can tell that it's, you kind of especially as a woman in drag develop this very strong sense of what is celebration versus what is mockery and it's the mockery aspect that just feels like shit to be watching it's like there's this like there's a few again I'm not gonna name names but there's a few queens that I've seen kind of do that and I'm like I'm uncomfortable watching this and I can't like it's it's just like oh it's a whole thing and I'm not (laughs) I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I can't be arsed talking about this because I feel like it's such a moot point because the people that do this stuff are the ones that are least receptive to listening to women in drag. Like, for instance, like I got, um, like I had this whole situation at the beginning of last year where I'd pulled out of a show because one of the people who were running it had done this hideously transphobic act and then bullied one of my friends for calling them out on being transphobic and they told me that by pulling out of this show I was actively 
repressing trans people in drag because xyz thing and it's like yeah it's people that are the most responsible for this kind of stuff that are the least willing to listen to the people that it hurts and it's like it gets to a point where you just feel like you're bashing your head off a brick wall with it it's like they're not going to listen to me because I happen to be a woman so what's the point like yeah totally it's yeah it's I, I think it, it, it's sad to hear that some promoters are still operating under that thing under that sort of mindset like that they have this like I know better than you sort of thing when really yeah, it was like they were like oh we've won a diversity award and we have xyz people on it It was a competition thing and I was it what like I pulled out of this competition and they were like just the response that I got to it was so shitty and I'm like yeah. I'm just not dealing with this I just blocked their email and was like nah fuck it I'm not dealing with this anymore and like it's the best way they then proceeded to piss off about 15 different other people and i don't think they're ever going to be welcome back in scotland again so there's that but like it's just it was an experience sometimes it's just better people like that just block them move on because they're obviously not interested in learning or again you can't reach people unless they're willing to be reached that's kind of the, the bottom line of it so it's like there's no point in exhausting so much kind of mental energy over trying to like get through to someone that is clearly not going to listen to you on premise like yeah exactly what I, what we can exhaust our mental energy into is the super difficult super thought-provoking um segment of the show we're coming towards the end fantastic so the segment of the show it rolls off the tongue the title of it. it is stunningly titled salma asks the guest to solve a riddle um it just <laughs> oh god it's succinct and to the point like most of my acts i'm actually buzzing about this like you like i've been excited since you told me it's like i don't know why i just <laughs> it, it took us we, we, it took us away but we finally got there so wait i explained to you before recording but for the for the children at home basically i have prepared or i've chosen i've prepared i've chosen a scottish drag artist and I have prepared a couple of thinly veiled clues as to who they are. And you have to guess who they are based off of those clues. It makes it a lot more complex than it actually is. But, um, so I will read you the clues and then you have 60 seconds from the conclusion of the second clue um, to, okay. to audibly, because we're on a podcast, to audibly deliberate <laughs> and then give me your, um, give me right. your answer. So Slay Guevara, are you ready for your riddle? I am in fact ready fantastic let's load up the word document no i'm kidding on i've got it here um okay so <laughs> sort of floppy desk no um clue number one this beacon of mortality is coming for you this, this beacon <laughs> okay. of mortality is coming for you clue number two dressed in garments of magenta and chartreuse Okay, magenta and chartreuse, that's like their shades of pink and green, right? Surely. Shit, this is really hard. I'm already mad at you. <laughs> what was the first one again? This Can beacon to... This beacon of mortality is coming for you. It's not to me, it's not to me, shy man. Uh, it's coming for you. <laughs> dress <laughs> dress in similar shades to magenta and chartreuse. That's not oh, how I phrased it a second time, but that might make it a bit more easier. Okay. So Sleek about it. Of mortality. Your 60 seconds starts now. 
Oh God, I was expecting this to be much easier than it actually was. Oh my God. Beacon of brutality, is it like a like an alt gothy type person? Like Putetla, perhaps. Oh my god. Um shit. The first one was giving me misty, but based on the color description, no. Um colors, Lawrence has done that a few times, but it doesn't seem right. Um is it rain of destruction? Nope, it is not rain oh. of destruction. You've got Damn 30 it. seconds left. So 30, fuck! <laughs> oh my god why is this so difficult or can i ask questions can i ask supplementary questions to this of course you can bear okay, mind you've got 20 from, seconds are they, from, are they from glasgow yes okay um do are they part of drag opticon no okay so that's darmageddon now i don't know why that was who was giving me but um shit. <laughs> oh god five four nope that was two, desperate one Oh god, puke, nope. Um Puke. Were you just like spitball like puke? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That was really hard. Fuck you. So in f- yeah, it was quite hard. In fairness, I think I fucked up with I need to go and revisit my colour wheel after that because Chartreuse is not the shade that I was looking for, but Chartreuse it just rhymes. green. Chartreuse is like neon green. Yeah, I was right. I'm going to kick myself, you're probably kicking myself as well. So the answer I was looking for, this beacon of mortality coming for you, dressed in magenta and chartreuse, was Kim Reaper. Because Fuck I off! thought... Fuck <laughs> off! Fuck off! Why now, was that... I right, probably I should have Googled... for that one. Yeah, I probably should have Googled if it, if it, that chartreuse is not blue. blue I'd have got, I, have a, I have two pictures of Kim Reaper staring at me right now. I've got two posters from old Cirque shows in front of my desk. I am literally looking Kim in the eyes at this precise second. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I really was spit, but I don't know where puke came from. It was just a weird drag artist that like came to my head. It's like, <laughs> like, oh, drag artists, could it be? Yeah. Um, I yeah. apologize. I, I had, <laughs> I've had it literally oh like Christ. behind no. the scenes tea for people. We've been recording this episode over the span of a month. Um, so. <laughs> I probably should have prepared that a bit better, but um, thank you for playing. Yeah, um, listen, and, you know. you're, you're like banking, on, you're giving obscure colour names to an art student. Like, <laughs> I knew like, that it was going to catch me like, out. Chartreuse is like yellow green. It's like that, fuck. It's like this colour. Like, Okay, I've just been shown a highlighter pen. It is not <laughs> anywhere near close to what I was looking for. But no. hey, and next time, oh Kim, my god, next time Kim sees me, they'll probably be like, "What the fuck was that?" Like, because <laughs> <laughs> like, I was going to be like magenta and blue. I should have just said magenta and blue. That would have rhymed and also fit better because you weren't trying to squeeze too many syllables into it. Yeah. You thought oh, well. about that one too much. Oh, I did. It's fine. I did. Um, that, that was <laughs> um, like. Watching myself in panic mode was really something. I was like, I was like 10 seconds away from that mental space that Brock Lesnar goes into before he caves someone's skull in with his elbow. Like that was, that's where I was. Before he potatoes someone because they've like, <laughs> usually brought in Strowman because they've yeah, so let's by let's, like, let's fucking give Randy Orton brain damage for some reason. That's still one of my favourite things is watching him just like pissing blood lying on the stage dead and Brock's like, Fuck, I maybe shouldn't have done that, should I? Like, yeah, 
it was in that moment he and then Shane just comes out gets f 5 and then the wee watermark shows up in the corner of the screen okay well that's the pay-per-view over <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like watching I think I saw like a YouTuber phrase it's like watching the biggest party of the summer end by a deliberate brutal injury is really not where you're wanting to go like it's would you? I would not want to be the person trying to sort of curtail or arrest Brock Lesnar for GBH. Like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, listen, I'm five foot two. That's not going to happen. I'm like, I think I'd come up to his fucking belly button. It's like, nah, let's just not. I, I might try and like sway because I shared a birthday with the Beast, so I might you know try and you know, nice get some influence the, that way. The only person. I don't share a birthday with anyone cool apart from RuPaul, and that really pisses me off. That's unfortunate. No, so that's a lie. I've got RuPaul and Stanley Tucci, so I can rest on Stanley Tucci. That one's fine, but... Yeah, that's a good redemption arc from RuPaul, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Slay, where can the where can the Waynes at home find you on social media and um, so things like that? The way- so my main one for my actual drag stuff would be uh, Slay underscore Guevara uh, on Instagram. If you're that desperate to look at my TikTok, it's mostly me talking bollocks about wrestling. I've got an audience of 40-something neckbeers that are obsessed with me for some reason. That would be at Slay Guevara, all one word, no space. And the same on Twitter if you would like to hear me getting angry about pay-per-views at two o'clock in the morning. Excellent. Slay, thank you very much for for coming on. We've You're very welcome. This has been excellent. I've, I've very much fab. enjoyed this. It, it's this the only... experience has been delightful. The, the only podcast episode too big for one night. We did it over two parts. Um, <laughs> it's like it's WrestleMania, but for podcasts, it's wonderful. Yes, like uh, truly, like this is me. this is what the road to Salmania has really been about. Yeah. Um, it's been this episode. If you, but... if you want a drinking game for this podcast, listen back to it and try and hear the number of times I audibly burp straight into my mic. I don't know what I'm on tonight, but it keeps happening and I'm genuinely embarrassed. Probably you probably again drink anytime you hear me like because I have, like my little mic stand which I'm not actually using because I've upgraded to a headset but you'll just hear me click it every so often you know little ASMR. That's things. what that noise was. I was yeah. really confused. Well, I mean something outside my house sounded like it exploded about forty minutes ago. I should maybe go and see what that was. Um, you, you there's just like smouldering ruin where your street used to be. <laughs> no, it's, it's fucking Jasmine's finally gotten fed up with the wee shits that spend all day and night outside in the trampoline and just detonated one of them. Like that's I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with her for that. That seems like a fair course of action. Yeah. Um it's valid, I know. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Diva Garabit Show. I have been Sal Manella as always. If you want to keep up with me on social media, you can see me at Sal underscore Nella underscore Queen on Instagram. Salmonella SCO, that is my Twitter name now on Twitter. Um I am on TikTok, but I post very occasionally and it's usually a cat or like I'm duetting with one of Slay's like unpopular opinion posts um, <laughs> I'm, I'm up there at scout slash salma if you want to keep up with the podcast we're over at diva get the tables podcast on instagram i don't know when the next episode of diva get the tables will be it seems to be all about grabbing a chair these days but fucking just some point it'll be there some point but all 10 episodes of that are available on my like spotify and other good streaming platforms if you want to keep up with that because wrestlemania is coming up you want to hear what i had to say about wrestlemania 21 back in october go review that mm-hmm. review that watch it listen to it i don't know how you consume podcasts um if you want to keep up with us on twitter as well we're at diva get the tables um i'll be back here in another two weeks with another very special guest it's another dear friend of mine in the scene someone who 
wasn't so much my drag mother, but just told me to hold still while they put eyeliner in my face. It is the runner-up of Suck You 2019, so Face or Fierce will be on my computer screen. It's going to be fab. Uh, in the meantime, Slade, do you have any parting words for, for the audience? You put me on the spot. I've got any fucking idea. Follow me on Instagram. That's good enough for me. Uh, in the meantime, like, stay safe. We are coming to the end, hopefully, of this fucking pandemic. So fucking hopefully. Hopefully we're going to get, like, live shows and stuff back soon. I can actually go and, like, sit in in McDonald's on Tokyo Hill Street and just watch the world go by or get a 90 pence vodka from Firewater. It's all going to happen. Um, but until we do that, stay safe, wear a mask. If you can get the vaccine, get the vaccine. Um, wash your hands. Continue to, like, do everything you can to, like, basically defund the police, um, defund Carol Vorderman, defund all of the like horrible people in the world, <laughs> um, support black lives, support trans rights, support all the good causes that you can. And above all else, do not eat smoky bacon crisps next to me on the bus. I will fucking kill you. Anyway, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye.